0: by the Hoffee Podcast Network. Every team, everywhere.
1: Hello, 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 Oilers fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Oil Country Podcast, and thank you for joining us. As always, I am your host, John. Joining me in just a few moments when we get into our interview section is Kyle, and we have an exciting guest for you today. It is stand-up comedian from Edmonton, Alberta, Lars Kellio. Um, Anyone that follows us on Twitter or is active in the Oilers Twitter sphere will be pretty familiar with Lars. He's a very active, um, active member of that community. For anyone that may not have had the pleasure of interacting with Lars on social media in the past, just to give a quick brief bio on it, you'll get to know him over the next several hours listening to us here. But he is a stand-up comedian from Edmonton, Alberta. He's toured the world with the likes of Joan Rivers, Jeff Foxworthy, um, who else? Bob Saget was also one of the guys that he had a great time with and and shared some stories about. Um, He's also visited Australia, Thailand, Vietnam, uh, entertained for our troops overseas, gone in the states, uh, attended a ton of different comedy festivals. Um, so he's definitely very well traveled and and really made a name for himself and made made Edmonton proud on the uh, stand up comedy scene. One of the big reasons why we wanted to bring him on was, I think in the in the world of a you know there's a lot of negativity and I've always really really. Um, considered Lars to be an extremely positive person, both on social media and chatting with him. So that was one of the reasons, you know, just a little bit of a break for everybody. There's some trying times going on. Um, Kyle and I both had a really, really good time chatting with him. The other night, it was one of those typical podcasts where you say, yeah, we're going to jump on for... Thirty or forty minutes, and then two hours later, you're you know we're rejumping into Zoom meetings because we've we've gone over our time limit on it, and just kind of several times in fact. So we had a really really good time, and obviously very grateful that uh, that Lars took the time out of his day to join us. Um, towards the end of the interview, you will notice that. On Lars's end, we had just a minor technical difficulty in the last 10 or 15 minutes where he's kind of cutting in and out. You can still tell what he's saying, but just kind of wanted to give everyone a warning there. Um, One of the things that we did miss on there that he kind of cuts out is his Twitter contact. Now, Lars has helped us an immensely, an immense amount to gain a twitter following so i don't know how much we're going to help him out but we do want to do our due diligence and do what we can here so for anyone that may not follow him already he is extra lars that's e-x-t-r-a-l-a-r-s on both twitter and instagram you can follow him there and like we like i mentioned before he's uh he definitely is very active on there and and really likes interacting with everybody um you can also at jack michaels because that's one of the guys that lars is really really wanting to gain on as far as his twitter following army so everybody spam jack michaels and see if we can get him uh, get him to follow lars there um, but yeah, we hope you enjoy the interview right before we get into that. I did want to just mention um, kind of catch everybody up as I, I'm sure everybody's bored at home and has already been following this. But we did resign Gaetan Haas to a very uh, well short term in one sense with a one year deal as well as it's like under 900 K. So he's definitely variable. But I like that uh, that Holland did that. You know, it's an easy, low risk contract for a guy that that showed some, you know, maybe brief. But showed some promise and some some hustle at that level. And like that he was kind of trying to, uh, not trying to, that he was kind of starting to figure it out at the NHL level. So low risk for the team. We get another year of Gaetan and uh, Gaetan Haas in here, or however you want to say it. Those TSN guys say that for his goal song. Um, but yeah, stoked on that. As well as some minor league uh, transactions, with the ELCs that Holland gave to both Nimalinen as well as Berglund. I know Berglund is staying overseas for another year. Uh still haven't gotten confirmation on Nimalinen whether he'll be coming over or not. And then we did also sign another Swedish defenseman for uh to an AHL contract by the name of I'm probably going to butcher this, maybe not. Theodor Lenstrom. So um, definitely from what I've read and, and just doing a, a brief amount of research there doesn't seem like anybody that we're expecting to make an NHL impact, definitely not right away. But when you look at all the, you know, the guys that have transitioned from the D core in Bakersfield in Caleb Jones, Ethan bear, likely Evan or, uh, um, Evan Bouchard coming up. So you look at that and, you know, losing some guys there and then they're getting a little bit thin down there. So it is nice to, you know, that he's providing some reinforcements for the likes of Samarukov and some of the other guys down there to continue developing um, alongside the the more veteran AHLers like Keegan Lowe. The last thing I wanted to touch on before we get into the interview with Lars here is George Laroc announced on Twitter that he was diagnosed with COVID-19. So... We all we all obviously know that George is, is a huge huge fighter, and we actually talk talk about him a little bit with Lars as well coming up. But we just wanted to extend our well wishes to him and wishing a speedy recovery and um, yeah everything going on there obviously gets sorted out in the proper way. I know he did mention that he does suffer from asthma as well, so that's obviously a complication that that we're you know everybody can be a little bit worried about understandably. So he is definitely in our thoughts and and sending all of our well wishes there. That being said, without further ado, here is our interview that's nearly two hours long with Lars Kellyo. You are, I'd say like locally Twitter famous for sure. That's where, where we heard of you and definitely in the, the Edmonton market as well. But you're obviously a comedian as well, which Kyle and I are both really, really into comedy. So I'm really looking, we've been looking forward to chatting with you here. And it's an interesting, like, you're a unique guest is what I'm rambling on about. You're a unique guest for us.
2: Yeah, I'm, uh, being Twitter famous is is great because it, it, you know, it nets so much extra cash. You know, you can monetize (laughs) being Twitter famous. I go to Tim Hortons, my coffee, $2.25. It's pretty sweet. Um. <laughs> I really think you need to incorporate more of the
1: um, like, have you seen those, what, what are those, like the, the coffee that girls on Instagram are rubbing all over their body and stuff. Like, I think you need to look into advertising like that on your Twitter.
2: Genius. I'll, I'll finally make a, yeah, it's, you know, it's, I'm pretty lucky and not only that, but uh, you know, all of the engagement with the Oilers fans and with, you know, comedy fans, it's always fun because um, if if you only work an hour a night, it's pretty easy to to you waste a lot of time on social media. So I'm pretty pretty engaging when it comes to that in a nice way. I always want to keep it light and funny and positive if I can. I think you do a good
1: job of that. And we we kind of talked about that in our pre-chat here before we started recording. But on, on the topic of social media, before we switch over, I was curious what what drew you to Twitter specifically over, you know, Facebook or Instagram or Reddit or any of the other tons of options you have?
2: Uh, my friend Derek, who's uh, who always the computer guru of our friends, I remember when I was in university in 1994, he set me up an email. He just came up to me and said, you have an email now. And I said, what's an email? And he said, electronic mail. And I said, that's never going to catch on. And so uh, Derek told me 10 years ago, actually Twitter just told me it was my 10 year anniversary. He said, you have to be on Twitter. You're doing comedy, you have to be on Twitter. And I remember seeing somebody tweeting in 2008. I was in Seattle doing some shows and there was a guy tweeting and I was like, I don't even know what that is. And so 10 years ago I got on. And then it was funny. I, um, the, the name that I wanted, the handle that I wanted was taken. It was extra Lars, like E X T R A Lars, which is a silly little, you know, uh, extra Lars. (laughs) (laughs) And, And it was taken, but back then, if the person hadn't tweeted in a year, all you had to do was email Twitter and they took that handle away oh, from the person. Interesting. Uh huh. So I was in Yellowknife and I, I remember emailing Twitter and they emailed me back and said, yep, the, the handle is available, but they don't give it to you, you have to go in and take it. And it was a friend from high school, Dana is her name, who told me that. She's like, all you have to do is email Twitter. I did and I got the name and so, um, I like the cleverness of Twitter. For me, you know, Instagram's fine, but I like it when you can write a clever joke. Um, and I, I I like a turn of phrase. I like wordplay. I, I really like the writing of the joke. And so that's, you know, th- that's my favorite part about Twitter is I find that the people can be really clever, man. There's some funny people on there.
3: And, and,
0: and Twitter's kind of made for comedians, right? Like it's so short form limit, and quippy right? and like, yeah, right. The character limit kind of forces you to make something funny so quick. So it's a punchline system, yeah.
2: Yeah, I certainly agree with that, but there's so many people who wouldn't necessarily be on stage, but when it comes to how funny they are in those moments how how fast they can retort how quickly they can respond to that stuff some of the funniest people on there aren't comedians at all but you're right it is perfect yeah yeah. Yeah. it is perfect for comedians but there's so many people who wouldn't maybe caught dead on stage who are so funny on there (laughs) I I mean,
1: a prime example of that that immediately pops to mind is visually better in the Oilers, you know, or whatever you call it. And it's kind of in the meme game too, right? Where I've always really respected people that just the way they punctuate and the way they can form a simple image with a caption and -hmm. just have you howling laughing.
2: And I mean, he's (laughs) great
1: at GIFs and whatever else, but... I've never had that ability or may, you know, it, maybe it's natural. Maybe people work at it like that, but I, I do respect that ability to, you know, operate in the confines of the system.
2: So you're, and so for anybody who isn't, I mean, I imagine all of your Oilers fans know I like at, I suck at picking. So that's who they're talking about. So he lives d- down Southern Alberta and he only follows like maybe a thousand people, but he has a massive following mm-hmm. and he tweeted out i 'm having a beer in Edmonton if anybody wants to join me and I got in my car and I rushed <laughs> over there because i I hoped that he would follow me and <laughs> I went and had a beer with him and as I was getting in my car after the beer, it was a really nice visit we actually weird strangely we drink our coffee the same way, which is a weird fact um, and so I was getting in my car and as I got in my car, I checked my Twitter and it was like, I second picking just followed you. And I remember giving myself like a high five, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's so funny. That is one of the funniest people I've ever met, that guy.
1: I, I love the the one thing I have to say about him too. I love how you know, like you see a lot of people that are building a page on social media or whatever, and they very like they stay in the confines of what they do. And I mean, you could even look at us for that. Not that we've we've been growing on social media a huge amount, but just as a small example, we talk about oilers primarily. We might get off topic, but I love how visually better he memes about the oilers. And then he'll get into like political rants. And if he loses 200 followers, he's just like, I don't fucking care. Like
2: you guys don't like what I'm saying. Like, don't follow me. I don't give a shit. Like it's the best. And he, you know, there, there's this weird, I, I, I also love that about him. I, so I've been in this Twitter battle for 36 hours and it's straight up this, and I won't, I won't get into politics, but I said, being a Trump fan, if you are in Canada and a Canadian, doesn't make much sense. Now, my, my basis for argument is his policies haven't helped Canada. And as a human being, he's a piece of garbage. So, right. you, you know, people go, yeah, okay, I can accept that he's a piece of garbage. He doesn't pay his contractors, his university was bankrupt, he cheated on all his wives. So as a human being, we can accept that he's, he's not a good person as a Canadian, his policies have hurt Canada. So I'm like, how, why in Canada? Yeah, like
1: where's that connection? <laughs> right,
2: so, so anyway, that's been the argument for 36 hours and I've been having a lot of fun with it. Now, um, a couple of people have been like, why don't you stick to comedy? And I'm like, I'm not defined by my job. I'm a human being with my own opinions and beliefs and, and my own feelings. And so I'm saying it doesn't make sense to be a Canadian and a Trump fan. Now, you can be, you're entitled to your beliefs and your your opinions, but I think it doesn't make sense. <laughs> people are like, well, I bought tickets to your comedy show. I'm like, well, what, so you can tell me how to think and feel? Yeah. Like, I, I don't, so when I see people go at go at um, Visually Better, who are like, why don't you stick to making Euler's memes? I'm like, why, why would you? <laughs> <laughs> like, like this is a person if if you have a jukebox in your house and your jukebox has an opinion and you're like why don't you stick to playing records okay that's an inanimate object <laughs> you that you put money in you can tell that thing how to feel yeah you own but it. yeah yeah sure but I'm like you just like this guy you bought I bought tickets to your show and I recommended you oh okay Thank I still you. think Trump is an idiot so I'm like well, I'll tell you what if if you want to I don't know pay all of my bills then you can tell me how to like I don't even know so it's funny to me when he does get political and people go at him and then they say well why don't you stick to your opinions on Oilers I'm like what this is (laughs) (laughs) and like it's it's weird too because I mean like we we're a
1: little bit more careful on Twitter or try to be anyways just because we are like I we try not to get political right we're we're a hockey podcast but There's definitely been moments where I want to, and I think like for you, that's your personal Twitter account. It's not like you're, you know, like say, I don't know if you have one or not, but like say you have a comedy manager and they're like, they set up this account and this is Lars comedy account and you're just going to post your like, you know, little bits of your set and whatever else maybe if that's the case maybe you don't want to but this is your personal twitter account you can do whatever <laughs> you want on there yeah and,
2: and there's way worse me. stuff being posted on twitter than what,
1: you, than
2: what you're yeah, doing. yeah yeah and and I, I i i really did post what i said about trump I decided I wanted to clear out anybody who was a Trump fan and I and you know I we don't have a horse in the race so it was very deliberate and so people are like I don't know I'm like you can't defend this position I don't think you can maybe you can anyway you're right and that sense of I have a right to tell you what to do because you're a comedian I'm like well, I'm, I'm also a person and so it's fun it's I think it's hilarious and and I have I have sometimes I have too much time on my
1: hands. <laughs> <laughs> Part of having the night job, I guess you have a little bit too much time on hand. I times. mean,
0: that logic just makes no sense anyways. Like you could just use it back of them. Like, why don't you go check out groceries more, or go doctor more or whatever, right? Like, why can you have opinion on anything? Like, it's such a weird opinion to have on anybody, right? It's so, a weird place yeah.
1: to draw the line in the sand. Yeah. That's for sure. I totally
2: <laughs> agree. And, yeah. and to just like, I'm like, I, I really, I, I really think of, I want to be a compassionate person. I really do, and I want to care about people's feelings. So even if somebody was a Trump fan, as a Canadian, that's a human being, and I said that in a couple of the tweets. I'm like, somebody got mean, and you know these people are stupid. I go, no, no, hold on. They would probably stop and help you change a tire. They would mm-hmm. probably come over and and help you if you know if you needed a hand.
1: So it doesn't mean a they're a being. bad moral person, exactly.
2: Sure, I fully agree, and so I want to try and keep it civil, and so. And so my wording was, I hope it was, it's a little bit silly. And then I I said, I think you have limited mental capacity. And that I'm like being a little bit silly, but also these are my thoughts and feelings. And you're right, this sense of weird, like telling the Dixie chicks, you know, during Bush administration, so, you know, whatever, 15 years ago, they were like, we don't like our president. And they're like, we don't pay you to have an opinion We paid Sing your employees. stupid songs, let's go. <laughs> right, and, and that's, I'm like, these are, these are people, both you know, whether they're entertainers or whether they're podcast you know, guys or whether they're, you know, if, I um, you know, Gretzky, I remember him, you know, saying he supported Harper or whatever that was back then. And they're like, how dare Gretzky do that? And I'm like, but he's a human being. That's, that's a person who has his own brain and his own heart. And he gets to speak his mind about things if he wants. Just because you want, you know, <laughs> just because you want him to to have your particular leanings, whether it's politically or re- religiously or whatever, I'm like, no, oh, that's a person.
1: Let him let him have and, it. And it's gonna sound cheesy, but it it kind of gets back to that, you know, like cliche or whatever you want to call it. Of I can't control other people's actions, but I can't control how I react to them. Where it's like yeah. you could have, you know, you could have an idol that you look up to, whether that's an athlete, a comedian, a politician, actor, whoever, but they're entitled to have that opinion and use their fame or or stature to broadcast that opinion just like we're doing here I mean it's not it's not fame or stature but we're just guys yelling into a mic and getting (laughs) random people to join us and but it's still like I understand you know when like you look at celebrities and they make say some kind of like offhand comments whether it's politically or whatever and you're like really wish, you know, like, what do you know about the real world? You're some millionaire in your penthouse. Like what perspective do you have? But it's really at the same time, you know, like just what you're saying, it's like, if I don't agree with them, I can just not listen to them. And same thing with you. Like if somebody gets offended by something you do on Twitter and they say, Hey, I bought tickets to your show. Like I'm not going anymore.
2: As much as you wish that person would still come. Do you really care? No, but I also, the idea of, no, I don't. And um, I appreciate that they were a fan mm-hmm. but if they if this makes them not a fan of my comedy or if this makes them not I'm okay with that I actually thought I actually thought this this particular exercise would lose me about 50 followers I really did and it lost me eight and gained me 10 there so you go. I, yeah. I, I I thought it would lose me a whole bunch and I'm like I was okay with it it was a deliberate it was calculated. And to make this about the Oilers, I love how Grant Fuhr uh, yeah. engages people on Twitter. I <laughs> <Me> love <too. laughs> how he interacts. And I had one of my favorite responses. So some when people say mean things about Grant Fuhrer, he'll respond to them, even if they have like two followers. Grant Fuhr, go go to his Twitter. He is such a nice person. He really... I, I mean, I don't, I've met him a few times and he's always been silly and fun and really nice and, and shake your hand and sign something if you want. And he, I, I like him, I do. And I remember being 12 years old, getting his autograph and uh, the media was there asking him questions and he was cracking them all up. And I remember being 12, 13 years old and looking at him making the media laugh. And I thought, what a great, like he's just having fun. And so somebody said something about Grant has made a lot of mistakes. And he replied to it and he's like subtweets it. Like he puts it on blast a little bit and goes, Oh, okay. Well, I guess, I guess you've never made any then. And I responded to that tweet. I said, when we're talking about grand mistakes, we're talking about that year in the flames Jersey, right? <laughs> 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 like, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've gotten over it now, but it took me some time. Like I, I would love it if he would come out and say, yeah, that was a mistake. I and would like, love it.
1: Why call out, I mean, I'm not going to try and rationalize what people online are doing, but that's just where my brain goes. Why call out a guy that's been so open about the mistakes he's made? And like, there's literally like making Coco. He made a movie about it. Like, <laughs> he obviously has like grown from that and wants to use that as a as a growing experience for other people to see that and like realize that your mistakes don't define you. And then people are like, Oh, like ripping on this hockey hall of famer for doing cocaine 30 years ago. Like,
2: (laughs) yeah. Uh, it's, I I think it comes from a little bit of a dark place and we'll make this light and and we'll definitely make it more about the Oilers. (laughs) We can get
1: dark. I don't mind.
2: (laughs) Well, I, so I, I think that the people that attack and especially when they hide behind a fake name, like it's my real name, it's my real picture, you know, and I, I want to own my own mistakes. And so when somebody brings up something from the past, I, I'm always like, you know what? I've made peace with it. If you're still back there, that's okay. You know, so those ideas of Grant really owning it and people being mean to him, I think that they're in a dark place personally. They're, they're not happy people. And happy people don't go around trying to tear down other people, especially mm-hmm. that's such a great point about Grant Fure. I mean, you know, his, his documentary was great and he absolutely owned every part of it. It was put out there, you know, for the public to look at. And once we make peace with ourselves and once we apologize for our mistakes and say we're going to try and be better than we were, there's not really anywhere else for us as people to go. Now it's up to the other people to decide whether or not they want to let it go. You know, I'm like, okay. If Robert Downey Jr. was, you know, spent some time in prison because of drugs 30 years ago, you can go like, well, I'm not going to his Iron Man movies because he made some mistakes mm-hmm. when he was 25. Okay, mm-hmm. well, you're you're entitled to that. You know, that's you're That's well within your right. right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. But I I like your your take on it. This is a guy who who's made. Made peace with it and he's he's I think he's a heck of a person now. I don't know, I don't know, it's like, I don't know. It,
1: it, of, <laughs> of anyone. Sorry, Kyle. I know we keep going to the Twitter side in here. I'm not trying to box you to the conversation. I know you're not a, a Twitter user, but the, the last oh, thing yeah. I wanted to say before we kind of switch gears here is like you look at Grant Fear, and if I if any of us could be in the situations where we made the mistakes. He made, but also had the accomplishments he made. I'll take that life, like no problem <laughs> yeah. at all. Like assuming I live and I don't, like you know, obviously, like kill anybody or anything while I'm in that dark period. Like, hey, like that guy's had a very successful life.
2: Agreed, fully, fully agreed. And and who hasn't? You know, I, I like the you know, I, my family wasn't wasn't religious, but the idea of let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Like, yeah, you can throw a rock if you want, but you know who who hears and that hasn't made mistakes and exactly and then yeah i mean hopefully you atone for them and hopefully you show some remorse if if you've hurt other people with with what you did and and then you try and take responsibility and become a better person when you grow up
1: use it as a growing experience exactly no yeah, i hope so i did i'm, I'm just saying i would do, i'm just ahead. saying i would
0: do cocaine with the oilers now i sure as hell would have done it 30 years ago with the <laughs>
1: Here, this is, this is, you, you bring the perspective, Kyle. That's, that's what this is all about. We'll so leave it at that, yeah. I, I did want to, we, I obviously want to, you know, switch gears like I mentioned there, Lars. And I, you know, we, we've got to talk about specifically more your comedy career. Cause it's, it's a very interesting life you've lived up to this point. So first off with the amount of traveling that you've done all the extensive list of countries that you visited. What's the main difference? You know, like you look at performing in Australia compared to the America or Canada. What What are the biggest like differences there for you?
2: It, so I started comedy this May. Actually, May eighteenth will be seventeen years since mm. the first time I did stand up, and I have found that uh, globally people are the same. It sounds like a cliche, cheesy answer, but I'll, but but I'll expound on the thought. So, um, everybody that I know in life wants a job that gives them a little bit of fulfillment, that pays the bills, that makes them feel appreciated. Everybody wants a relationship that, that somebody loves them and that they can love back. And, you know, everybody wants health for their family. So the things that people want globally are really similar and the relationships and the, the, you know, men and women in Singapore are the same as men and women in Seattle are the same as men and women in Okotoks. Mm-hmm. We're all the same fundamentally. Now, there's obviously some differences, but for the most part, you know, it, what we want and what we, you know, we want happiness and, and um, satisfaction and love and, you know, fulfillment. So my act, when I talk about the differences between men and women, you know, I, I have this silly joke that, that always kind of makes me laugh. And I like it when couples are pointing at each other during that, <laughs> right. and, not, and not to be too broad, but I always, I dated this girl for four years and um, she's sweetheart, just a great, whenever we ate a meal at a restaurant, she would always say, what are you going to have? Now, I've never been at a lunch with one of my male friends and had them ask me what I was going to order. I don't think I've ever had that happen. Yeah. (laughs) You know, now she wanted to sample different things on the menu. And I understand, but I, I like the dummy character of pretending like I don't know why she would ask that. (laughs) And so the, in, you know, in the joke, when she goes, I said, I dated this girl, we go to a restaurant and she would say, what are you going to have? And I would be confused and say, well, but they gave you a menu. Like, that's your menu. Like, why do you want to know what I'm going to have? And then I'd tell her, I'd say, I'm going to have the fettuccine. And she'd say, that's what I was going to have. Oh, oh, yeah, but it's a restaurant. Like, don't make one for everybody. <laughs> like, there's not one fettuccine. There's like multiple. They keep making them. And th- that's a terrible system. Like, well, that's today's fettuccine. And, and that doesn't matter if you're, in, if you're in Thailand or if you're in Las Vegas or if you're in Edmonton. When you do that joke about, you know, s- some women are curious about what their partner going to have, right. there's laughter and, and there's a commonality in that. And so, you know, there's this great quote I saw, I think it might have been, it was on a movie called I Am Comic, I think, or maybe it was on a podcast where they say, like, you know, it, in, in the minutiae, in the tiny details, you find the commonality. So when, when you talk about the tiny little things, everybody kind of gets on board with that. You know, my friend Drew Bame has a joke where he's like, when I was a kid, like turning off the light in the basement and rushing upstairs before the monster yeah. got you. <laughs> when he tells that joke, everybody goes, Oh yeah, it was, it was so scary to, to leave a dark basement as a kid.
1: And grow and, and a, growing up, everybody thinks they were the only one that did that. It's almost like a bit of shame.
2: <laughs> yes, precisely. And so when you talk about these little fears, these little thoughts, these little ideas that, that took place in relationships or jobs or, you know, all of those things connect with everybody. So when I do a show in San Francisco, I can talk about this relationship or when I do a show in Melbourne, I can talk about the relationship and everybody in that crowd really connects with it. Not everybody, but but hopefully enough people that the joke makes people laugh and go, "Oh yeah, that's so silly," you know, it's that's great." And so um occasionally you can find that the the coastal cities that are like really liberal they look for trigger words, so sometimes they're you know, a little bit sensitive. You know, I have a, you know, some friends that like to like to needle the audience, and they're good at it, and they're super funny. And so they'll challenge their thoughts and ideas. And when they challenge the thoughts and ideas, sometimes they hear trigger words, and the audience kind of groans or or gets a little bit, you know, pulls back a little bit. You can see them kind of recoil in, oh my god he used the word abortion or or he used the word this or that and if it's a well thought out joke and a well presented idea and you see that they're actually making fun of something like homophobia or something you know they're not they're not condoning it they're actually poking fun and they're and they're using it satirically um then when i see an audience take offense to that i'm like yeah you shouldn't have (laughs) but that That doesn't generally happen in like middle Canada, middle America. It can, but it doesn't all that often. Um, So when you get to like Sydney would be a little bit more, there's this, they're looking for something to be offended by. Doug Stanhope has a great joke. He goes, when I perform at colleges, they're looking to get offended. Like you just have a bunch of kids in the audience who are sitting there with a blank picket sign and a Sharpie.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's like ready to go.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm going to stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves. And (laughs) as you, as you get older, you, you formulate your thoughts and ideas. And, and, you know, so, so I I think that the world comedically is pretty connected. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's easy to make somebody laugh in, in Vietnam. You know, when you tour Asia and there's English speaking comedy clubs and the English-speaking comedy clubs, it's mostly expats. So it's Americans and Canadians and Australians and English mm-hmm. and, and so Kiwis. And so you get this, all these English-speaking people in a comedy club in, in Bangkok. So comedy club Bangkok will have 120 people filled to the rafters and you just do English-speaking comedy in, in Thailand. Interesting. Yeah. And so, well, you know, that I've been going to Asia now for six years. Uh, Well, I was supposed to go this year, so five years. Um, And you do Singapore, uh, Kuala Lumpur, Thailand, Vietnam. I've done Hong Kong. Um, Jakarta has some comedy. Uh, So does um, the Philippines and Korea. And so there's English-speaking comedy scenes in all of these places. There's a great article that was written in the New York Times about the comedy scene in Vietnam. And when I was reading the New York Times article, it was all friends of mine. It was all people that I've been working with for the past five or six years. And it was really cool to read, you know, it's uh, English speaking comedy over there is really kind of caught, you know, catching fire. It's the scenes over there are really cool.
0: In your previous years there, uh, you've been saying like it's it's blown up recently. Have you seen a development in the local scene? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, like they're in their language or doing their own clubs and stuff like.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. so in Asia and the places that I've made stops, one of the things that I do is, um you're there with a lot of time on your hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I'll do is I'll put on i I'll put on a workshop for local comics, and I'll do it for free because I'm there, and I've been around comedy a long time, and i've I've been so fortunate in my career like the luckiest person in the world. I really believe i'm I'm so so blessed. Um, and so what I'll do is I'll sit with them for a day or two. So we've done it in, in Thailand. We've done it in Vietnam. We've done it in Darwin, Australia. So I'll sit down and talk with the comics and just give them, I never talk about their material. I think that's very personal. I think, I think artists need to create with their own vision in mind. I don't ever want to influence their writing, but I want to talk about booking shows and how to reach out to people. And there's a great Gary Goldman clip that I play for them that, that I discuss like, look how he's trimmed all of the fat off of this bit so if people aren't familiar with Gary Goldman he does this bit about naming the states it's about a seven minute bit and it's one of the five most finely crafted seven minutes of comedy in the history of comedy and so this he's like naming the states in the U.S. and how they like abbreviated them to be abbreviating the states and I play that for them and go listen how how tight this bit is. And then, so I do that. And so over the past, you know, five or six years, five years, I've seen the, the number of people who come to those information sessions or workshops or whatever you want to call them. This gone from like six people to 15 people to 25 people. So over the past wow. bunch of years, I've definitely seen there's more, and there are also more, you write right. Natives like um, speakers, so there's more people who speak um, some English, but are also Vietnamese, or also you know Singaporean, but Singapore, most people from Singapore speak English. But um, and so you'll get more Thai comedians, and so Malay the Malay comedians who were learning English. There was a few of them on the show today from the Crackhouse Comedy Club in Kuala Lumpur. I got to watch that this morning, and so yeah, I've seen the scenes grow and grow and grow, and then with something like an article in the New York Times. I mean, that's going to like spread like wildfire all, all over Vietnam and they will actively seek out where the open mics are, who's booking right. shows, how do I get on it? And, you know, there's some, there's a comedian named Ben Betterby and he's a, an American, but he ran comedy classes in Vietnam. He's a good comedian. And so he'd run the occasional class and he'd teach, you know, a dozen new comics every in tw- once or twice a year. So yeah, the scenes are are really blowing up in Asia. And the crowds are great. They re- and the food. Oh my goodness! Like food is so so great and so cheap. It's a lot of fun.
1: When you when you're talking about yourself and other comics setting up these you know workshops and helping each other out, I I don't know why personally I had this feeling, but I had always kind of imagined that stand up comedy maybe not like cutthroat, but wasn't really like super super key on comedians doing exactly what you guys are saying is that unique in that industry or is that more common than we would think
2: i think it's a personal thing Mm -hmm. you know for the most part one of my favorite stories uh was this it's about a pole vaulter this is probably from the 70s or 80s maybe even before that and the guy who had the world record in pole vaulting had retired and the new world champ of pole vaulting couldn't beat his world record couldn't be right so he called said hey look I, I can't no matter what I do I can't beat your world record can you help me and the guy who had the world record told him how to do it gave him instruction and taught him how to beat the world record the guy beat his record the people who are comfortable and confident in their own abilities are always happy to help Brent Butt from corner gas is one of the most supportive people in the industry right. you know Joan Joan Rivers was one of the most supportive people in the industry when the Tonight Show called her, or was it Letterman? So I'm paraphrasing a little bit. I, I, I want to be accurate in my telling of a story, but so it was either Letterman or The Tonight Show who called her and said, "We'd like to have you on." Mm-hmm. And she had been banned from The Tonight Show for a long time. And she said, "I will come on, but you have to give a spot to this comedian." So one of her opening acts that she used all the time was at the on the cusp of breaking, really was close to becoming a pretty good name comedian, and she said. I'll come do your show, but you have to give this young guy a shot. And so somebody like Joan Rivers, somebody like Bob Saget, so all these people, Foxworthy. I mean, Foxworthy took Ron White, Bill Engvall, um, and Larry the Cable Guy on the road in the Blue Collar Comedy Tour, and Jeff Foxworthy made them all millionaires. He made them all famous. And so somebody like Foxworthy, who has had a good career, who is happy to help out. You know, I, I love the quote. Um, I think it might be Kevin Spacey, unfortunately. But yeah. the idea of... Um, if if you reach the top, it's your job to send the elevator back down, you know? So there's a fantastic comedian from Edmonton named Sterling Scott. And when he was first starting out, he was my opening act for a long time. And when they called, an agency called and said, we're doing the Just For Laughs showcase, who should we put on it? I said, this, this young guy, he's amazing. He's working his butt off. And they said, well, we got these other guys who went, I'm like, no, you gotta put this guy on. He's the hardest working and he's the funniest. And he got just for last that year, but it was easy for me to champion him because he was nice and hardworking and super funny. I'm not mm-hmm. threatened, I'm not threatened the by a funny guy. He had put in all of the work. Right. And, and so I think that acting and mu- music and, and improv, I think everybody, it's, I think the bell curve is the same across everything. Even, I don't know, say NASCAR driving or podcasting. The people who are the best podcasters, if somebody reached out to you and said, we're thinking about starting this podcast, you don't necessarily see them, I don't, as, I won't speak for you guys, I'll let you answer the question. I don't see them as competition, but rather somebody who is tipping their hat to your expertise for saying like, I respect what you guys are doing. Could you help us get started?
1: A hundred percent. Excuse me. I, it's, it's weird. And like, I guess it's just, you. you don't, they're not your direct competition, right? And I think that's the big thing when you look at, you know, I, I mean, there are some definitely some um, similarities between comedy and, and podcasting loosely, where, yeah. you know, viewers of that content, I'm not going to go and be like, I love Kevin Hart. He's my favorite comedian and fuck everybody else. I only <laughs> listen or watch <laughs> Kevin Hart stand up. Yeah. You can, like, you know, I listen to tons of podcasts every week. Most people that are into podcasts do. Sorry, Kyle, what were you going to say there?
0: Uh, I just want to say that I, I think excited. almost I think most careers are like that right like mm-hmm. w- typically the cutthroatness comes lower down on the rung of the ladder right like where it's people competing to try to get up but once you're at the top most people are looking for others to succeed too right every chef I've ever worked for has ever only ever wanted me to succeed most comedians like you called out a few like Joe Rogan and his death squad that was a huge part in bringing our Shafir uh Bill Burr was maybe a bit popular before that but you know like Burt Kreischer, numerous others from that right uh, and, and even just related to the Oilers, like Gretzky has said numerous times, he's going to be at every game when OV is close to breaking his gold record if he gets there. Right. So, yeah. uh, yeah, it's, it's the professional thing to do and it's the mature thing to do. And, and most people that get to that level get there because they have that attitude in the first place. Right. They're
2: not spiteful and backstabbing everybody at the bottom. So yeah, fully agree. Yeah. 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 You can't, you yeah. can't outwork somebody, you know. If, if, if like the amount of time Gretzky would spend on the ice or Ovechkin or Crosby or any of those guys there, <laughs> I just remember <laughs> uh, like visually better, like ice like a picking. He had one where it showed McDavid out on the ice by himself. There was this picture of him, like in on an empty sheet of ice, just still yeah. practicing a shot. And he Photoshopped in Russell laying on the ice in front of him.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I <a> hard. <laughs> uh, um, oh that's I, good if you that's guys good. oh it was so great um it's so funny um i'll ask did you guys see have you guys discussed already if you have we won't we won't worry about it did you see the all oilers team the they released the oilers team of like
1: i did it was it, like that was the one through tsn correct yeah. Yeah, And I, so that I'm, I i do not I saw the picture, but I guess there were some parameters. Like there was, you had to play X amount of games. You had to play X amount of years. So I know there were like a guy like Cujo, for instance, a lot of guys were arguing that he should have been one of the goalies with fear, but wasn't eligible, I guess. I don't know. If okay, Kyle, did cool. you see that one?
0: uh i'm actually looking it up right now so no i didn't see it it just got posted today right so yes, that's yeah i think correct. it was on uh,
2: yeah
1: it on dusty's twitter i think he was talking about it most of the tsn guys are talking about it today
2: yeah and so to make it a little bit about Euler so people don't think we um i i saw a book burger on there and i was like how did like i was a bit of a bucky fan until he threw an elbow at gretzky's head but yeah. uh, <laughs> i forgave him for that eventually i was at that game i really? bought my I bought my dad Father's Day tickets because the St. Louis Blues were in Edmonton, and in the first period, Gretzky had a goal and an assist. And then he cut across the blue line, and Bucky stuck his elbow out and knocked him out of the game. I was mad at Bucky for five, eight years. Do you remember so what the reaction
1: at- was like? What was the fan base like? Was were they in similar view of, as
2: you were? Yeah, because we were all there to see Gretzky like we yeah. all the tickets were expensive can give a shit about
1: and the so, 90s oilers
2: <laughs> sure and so we were we were all there because we, so you're in the first period and people can fact check this i'm pretty sure my memory is accurate he knocked him out of the game in the first period and so oh i was mad Ugh. and so when i saw bucky on the list i, I still i love him now by the way i use the heart and soul for a long time oh yeah so so but I, there was a period in my life where i was I was mad at him. So Bucky, if you're listening to this, I forgive you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And if you're listening to this, Hey, feel free to reach out and jump on as our next guest, please.
2: (laughs) When we were talking about all the
1: people like helping each other out and not really competing. I was like, my immediate thought was like, why hasn't spitting chicklets reached out to us and like asked us to come on, you know, like maybe biz could jump on our show. Like, come on, help us out, man.
0: (laughs) Get a look at biz junior over here. eh?
1: Yeah, you guys yeah, heard? exactly. I, I feel like I don't look like him that much, but
0: <laughs> I think so, man. Yeah, it's all in the upper half of the face.
1: <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, maybe, maybe. What was uh, you had mentioned um, Joan Rivers before Mayor mm-hmm. Lars? And I'm curious. I don't mean to keep steering it away from hockey. It's just we've with the hiatus, it's weird, and we we, we want to talk comedy too. Sure, yeah, so absolutely. You you mentioned that, um sorry, when you sent your bio over to us, that was obviously a huge, big thing when, when I read that, that I was like, wow, that she had kind of taken you under your wing. You knew her well, and you were also invited to her funeral when, when she unfortunately passed away. So I'm just curious, like, that's a, that's a legend. What was that like as a, as a young up-and-coming comedian just to have that exposure to someone like that?
2: I, I wish everybody would have had a chance to meet her because you don't have to make her sound better than she was after she passed away. You know, they sometimes want to, you know, sugarcoat somebody's life and, and sure. look at it through rose-colored glasses. You did not have to do that with Joan Rivers. So um, how it happened, and there's a bouncing ball, and I'll try and blast through it so as not to bore your, your um, listeners. But there's, you know, I live in Edmonton, and the River Creek Casino in Edmonton has a 2,000-seat showroom. And they were new and they were using local acts occasionally to open for their big name stars who came through. So somebody like Joe Rogan tours with his own guys, Bill Burr tours with his own guys, you know, Gabriel Iglesias tours with his own guys, but there's some people that use local acts and Joan Rivers is one of them. And so uh, I had worked really hard to get in with the casino and I opened for Martin Short. So when I opened for Martin Short, it was a Friday night, 2000 people, I had to do Fifteen or twenty minutes, and the set went well. Well, it's Friday night in front of two thousand people. It's, mm-hmm. You know, if, if you've been You're doing comedy up. for a while, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was, a, I had done a lot of shows. I'm gonna make myself sound like I'm an arrogant. I, I had done a lot of shows, so I was ready for that show. You know, I right. wasn't an amateur comedian. I was, you know, I've been doing comedy for. I'd done thousands of shows by that point. So mm-hmm. I went, did the twenty minutes for Martin Short. Set went well. I come off the stage, and all of the entertainment people from the River Cree were standing there. And they were like, you were fantastic. And I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I mean, you're working with Martin Short. He did like a Three Amigos thing and he did a Jiminy Glick thing. He was really wonderfully funny and so gracious. I mean, he's Canadian. He was so nice. And so they said, we will be sending you the contract for Joan Rivers tomorrow. And so Joan was the next big name Act. So they sent me the contract and I got to open for Joan. And uh, I really got along with her she has a couple of assistants and road managers that she works with. There's a great documentary called A Piece of Work. And that documentary, there you see them in there if, you're, if you know who they are. Graham is one of them. And um, Jocelyn, just such nice people. So after doing what I was told, you do 15 or 20 minutes and come off the stage. You, you, for the hour and 10 minutes that Joan Rivers is on stage, you hang backstage with her, her people. Because you're just right. back there hanging out. So I became, they're nice, they're easy to talk to and they're fun loving. And so we just sat back there and drank all the beer in the green room and hung (laughs) out. (laughs) And and so when she came back through on a Canadian tour, like a year later, they reached out to me and said, Joan wants you to tour with her now. And I thought, oh yeah, absolutely. So, you know, went on a little tour with her and then the following three tours that she did of Canada, when she would come to Canada, I would get an email from Graham, her, her tour manager and said hey these are the dates and the, the second time I toured with her I got an email from Graham that said hey we just want to know you're still good for these dates but he there I've searched everywhere to try every text message every email because I want to I'm like I don't know anything about this <laughs> yeah, this is the first time hearing about this <laughs> he's like hey are you still good for these dates and I was like what <laughs> you've never asked me I had to cancel shows yeah I had to like call people and go like I can't do your show I got to go on tour with John Rivers." and um so I was like yeah of course uh and so it's as much the relationship with her people who became my friends and they're still my Mm -hmm. friends on on Facebook and we text each other every now and then and um they're just they were great people and so Joan did a bunch of things that that uh by the way I always feel like a bit of a jackass when I use just her first name I really do like I don't you know we toured together a bunch of times we you know we weren't besties I'd never been to her her house, so right. so I, I I'm reluctant I'm reluctant to just say Joan, just for the record. In in your um, in
1: your bio, you refer to her as Miss Joan Rivers.
2: Yeah, that's so how. Do, just, that's how. Yeah. Like that, give, that
1: give to put that in perspective for anyone listening.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, she would make sure your name was on the promo. So if there was a billboard in your town that said Joan Rivers is appearing, and we did the Jubilee Auditorium. Winspear Center, River Cree, like we had done all the venues in Edmonton, a bunch in Calgary, and a bunch of other big theaters. And so, if if you if there was a billboard, and she had to go out of her way to do this to say like your name is on that billboard. If there's a if there's a radio ad or a, a newspaper ad, your name was there. And we did Vancouver. We did the um, River Rock Casino in Vancouver. And if there was a star on her dressing room that said Joan Rivers. Your star had to be the same size,
3: wow. and
2: the same font. It was the same star. So, and then the so many little things she would do. So she would do your intro. So she would come onto the microphone from backstage, and she'd go, "Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for the show?" And she would be getting laughs, and and then she would introduce you. Well, it's Joan Rivers giving you a live intro. Yeah. So when you walk out <laughs> on stage, her fans are already like, "Well, this is a friend of Joan's," and such a funny you know, gags she would do. She'd be like, your opening act tonight, a uh, close personal friend of mine and the best opening act in his price range. <laughs> <laughs> and So that, there that was a
1: little bit of deprecating humor.
2: <laughs> oh, so great. And so she would call you back out for curtain calls and bows. And she made sure that everybody knew your name by the time you finished. And she was so gracious. And then we did a show in Edmonton and I teased my mom from the stage and we were at the Jubilee Auditorium and it was the first time I'd ever played it and I considered and I really did getting down halfway through my set and kissing the stage because I couldn't believe that I was standing on stage performing at the Jubilee Auditorium. I was like, it's my Carnegie Hall. Yeah. And so I'm like, this is such a special moment. So my mom, they always gave my mom the best seats in the house and um, So I would tease my mom from the stage. Well, Joan Rivers comes back after her set. She finishes the show and she sticks her head in my, my green room. And she said, is your mother really here? And I said, yeah. She goes, tell her to come back here. I want to meet her. And so she had watched my show, heard me teasing my mother, calls my mom back and stands and talks to my mom for 10 minutes. And she said, your son's got a bright future. I really love working with him. He's so funny. Talks to my mom and her husband, Ken, for 10 minutes. And then when she leaves the dressing room, Graham was standing there. She toured with a suitcase filled with um, stuff from her home shopping network. And she would, Graham was standing there with jewelry and handed it to my mom and my girlfriend at the time and said, Joan wanted you to have these. And that's incredible
0: dude and your mom must have been so proud of you too for yeah
2: well here's the, here too the, right like, yeah <laughs> that, here's the best part my parents were professional entertainers for 25 years oh, so really? my parents never cared they never cared about my my success and not to say that they weren't supportive because they were they just didn't care because they were on tv they toured with big name acts right and oh, so wow. all through the 80s so what I love about Joan taking the time to do that is if is if my parents, let's say my parents were an accountant and uh and a nurse, well they might look at the profession of stand up comedy and go, My son, my son shouldn't be doing this. He should right, get a job. That typical quotes, like get real a real
1: job. job. Yeah, exactly. Get a real yeah. job.
2: My parents didn't need to hear that, but
1: She didn't if, know that if, though.
2: That's right. Exactly. She's so, v- she's
1: vouching for you to kind of like in case there's any kind of bad blood here, she's stepping up and saying, "Hey, your son's on the right path here." Like that's yes. Awesome.
2: And the t- her taking that time and that ten minutes to do that thing was very deliberate. In that, if you needed a stamp of approval to get your parents' support on this, she gave it to them. And I bet she did that for everybody whose parents were ever at a show because. That you just got validated yeah by one of the biggest comedy stars in the history of the world. like for me, spaceballs like Joan Rivers was the robot in spaceballs like that's <laughs> <laughs> I I, well, I met you know the first time and um, that idea of that that little just yep she's she's doing that for you. It took 10 minutes out of her time, but for some people, I bet like I remember. I was opening for somebody and and I messaged my mom and said, Hey, do you want to come to a show on Friday? And I'm opening for, I don't think it was Joan Rivers, but I'm opening for Joan Rivers. And My mom went, well, if you want me there, I'll go. And I'm like, my parents were just like, this is your job. This is what you do for a (laughs) living. I I don't, I don't care if you're on TV. I was on on TV. Great. And if I would have wanted to be, I don't know, if I wanted to, I was a casino dealer for, for six years while I was in university. If I wanted to be a casino dealer for the rest of my life, my parents would have been like, yeah, be a good casino dealer then. Become the best one you can. Like they they just did not. Indifferent, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is interesting because so
1: I feel like a lot of, you know, I'm trying to think of the shows. Like I know Louis had one.
2: Um, who was the,
1: is it Crashing? Is one of like the College Humor guys that had, uh-huh. do you know what the show I'm talking about, Lars? I know exactly.
2: I haven't seen it, but I hear great things about it. Tall guy, dark hair. About. I, geez, I was
1: just just about said ed helms that's not the case pete holmes
2: pete holmes um yep.
1: and he's like for anyone that's not big into comedy if you've remember that college humor uh skit when like college humor was really big and they had the batman like parody yep. he played batman in that but anyways yep. you you whenever i've watched those shows how they you know um Sorry, what's the word I'm looking for? How they present their life anyways is typically their family and their parents have a very complicated relationship with their career choice. Yeah, So it's, it's interesting that you, you know, you have kind of an atypical relationship with your, with your mom in that sense then, or your parents in that sense, because they didn't have any problems with it at all.
2: Not even a little. And I had to be a musician in, uh, in high school and I was, uh, I was dreadful and I was bad (laughs) (laughs) and so yeah there really wasn't my parents whatever you wanted to do that's what you could do there was they they didn't yeah express yourself however
1: you want to express yourself kind of thing which is that's a good environment it seems like from the outside yeah
2: yeah work hard and be good you know yeah you know they didn't really like mediocrity
1: I I wanted to um one of the the closing comments on the as not closing comments, but as far as what we were talking about with Joan um, or miss Joan Rivers, um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so mind blowing that someone of that fame and stature was that down to earth and, and had that understanding where we were just talking earlier, where, you know, if, if you listen to people or not right way at the start of the show and, all these celebrities that are millionaires and living in their penthouses and have no perspective on on the world. And like, why would you, you know, we don't have to listen to them. And like, they're giving all this advice, but they don't really understand. But meanwhile, you have a star of this stature that's coming in, taking the time where she could just be coming in and, yep, doing her set. Who gives a shit about anybody else that's underneath me? I'm famous, I'm doing my job, that's my thing. But she realizes to the people that are opening for her, having their name on a billboard is a huge deal. Meeting her talking to your parents is a huge deal. And it's, it's very refreshing to see someone of that, you know, I keep saying repeating this, but of that stature and that accomplishment have that really down to earth perspective still. That's very refreshing.
2: Yeah. She was through and through a stand up comedian. And I, I was really lucky in that one of, the two, one of the shows we did when we were on a tour. So she would, we would go do sound checks. So you would always be like, let's say, a five o'clock sound check. So we would go to a five o'clock sound check and she would have little gags that she had set up. And so one of the gags was uh, flower pots. She would have to have 12 flower, like flowered flower pots on the stage at the front of the stage. And they made the stage look good. But at the end of the show, she would pass them up to the audience members. It was for a mm-hmm. gag at the very end of the show. So when they're playing her off. And she would have a 12-piece orchestra. I, this was one of the funniest. A 12-piece orchestra for one joke. For one joke. So she would hire, they would have to hire 12. Just these people
1: on standby, ready to go.
2: So they would play they would play me on. So they would have like, they would probably need to know five or six songs. They would play me on stage, play me off stage, play her on stage, play her off stage. And then we would come out and take a bow at the end of it. But halfway through the show, she would, she, she was, um miming having sex and she would lay down on the stage on her back and she's 80 years old she's 81 when she passed away and so she turns to these 12 musicians and said hey would one of you come help me up now she hired them for this gag because if they moved if they got up to help her up they were going to get fired they would say like you look don't ruin this joke when joan asks you for help if you get up you're fired So, So they were supposed to just
1: stay, just not do anything,
2: just sit there. And Joan's on stage on her back, and she's like, Hey, would one of you come give me a hand up? And then nobody would move. And they go, I'm (laughs) sorry, are you guys busy? And then she would, (laughs) like, (laughs) this, Joan.
1: Like them playing the intro and the outro music was just like a perk of like well, they're here anyways. So we might just like get to play
2: it the whole purpose so is just for that gig, Wow yeah killed hilarious, and so um, <laughs> she she would we would be doing sound check, and, and the, the orchestra would be there, and 'd explain everything to them, and we'd walk her through all the jokes and um, so every she would always be very funny during sound check, always hilarious, and then. There was a time in Calgary, we were playing casino in Calgary, and they were, they didn't get her the things that she needed, a cover for the piano. Um, she needed the, the pot, like flowers were very specific and this and that. And she, the only time I ever saw her do this, they were like, they were, they, they made a mess of it. They did a bad job. And she tore a strip off them. And I'm so lucky to have seen her when somebody didn't do their job because Every other time, every other venue had done it correctly. And she was always goofing around and making everybody laugh. She was all business. If yeah. you did your job, she was so nice to you. If you didn't do your job, she tore a strip off of them. I remember her; these five people standing there just deer in headlights, like just terrified yeah. as Joan was ripping them one. <laughs> and, and she goes, "Who's who's the stage manager here? And these five people are just staring at her. And she goes, who's in charge here and these five people are like uh she goes am i the first entertainer you've ever had like she gave them the business but the other 15 shows as nice and as as, as long as
1: there was the accountability yeah and you did your
2: job it was job. amazing yep wow. it, it was incredible it was incredible she was all business and she was always a comic she was just a comedian yeah she was worth 180 million dollars but she didn't care she <laughs> yeah. just wanted to be working wow and it
1: is weird because it's like, you think at that level that it's like, you know, you mentioned that she had passed away when she was 81. And did she perform pretty much like right up until
2: the night before she had done a show the night before, wow. had recorded an episode of fashion police that week. Wow. She, she was, she was, she was still working. She Just was all about that. Life. All she wanted to do was work. She was the hardest working person I've ever, ever, ever seen. Every wow. tour we went on, she would have 25, 30 new minutes of material. She was incredible. And I'm not even saying that because she passed away. Like, I have nothing to gain. Yeah, here. like I'm, you said, you're not was...
1: sugarcoating. And yeah, just because, yeah, wow.
2: Yeah, she was, a, she was a
0: killer. She was awesome. Like legend to the name, right? Like basically, like her, like Carlin was like that too, right? Like to, yeah. to the last day he worked, right? Like, uh, just legends, man.
2: Yeah. And yeah, then we... an
0: honor that you got to work them too.
2: Yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Carlin's her, sorry. Last, yeah. yeah, Carlin's yeah. last book. So his book, he had been working on a biography. And they released an audiobook of it after he passed away. I, I might be my last words. I think I, I could be wrong, but just Carlin's last book. Just Google that. His brother reads it in the audiobook, and his brother sounds almost exactly like him. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's trippy. Yeah. It's
1: weird. Like people like that, just a different breed. Hey, like not to say that, like, you're not hardworking, Lars, or we're not hardworking, but it's just like, and it's not even just in comedy, obviously. Like you look at McDavid. You look at Gretzky. Yeah. You look at the greats. You look at Crosby. Like it, that's just a different breed of hard work. Everybody that gets even close to that level is hardworking, and obviously they have a higher level of talent and natural gift as well. But it doesn't just come to them like that. That work they put in—it's just a different breed.
2: Yeah. The the I I mean I I love doing what I do, and to this day I remember a good friend of mine, Alex Fortin's his name. He he has a joke. Where he goes, you know, my dad and I have this game where we always cheer for the losing team. Like we always cheer for the. That's what we do is just cheer for the losing team. So we're Oilers fans. Yeah. Um, but anyway. <laughs> uh, yep. But Alex Alex Fortin gave paid me a really nice compliment once, and he said, um, he said, I hope I still love it as much as you do when I've been doing it as long as you have, and that's true. I I man, you know, we were, I was in Australia when you know when this stuff started to happen. I was supposed to be overseas for four months. Mm-hmm. and I all I ever wanted to do was just do shows every night like that's it there's nothing else man yeah I, I and then when you talk about somebody like Carlin or Joan or or McDavid or Crosby that talent is there like Carlin's mind was so incredible you know they were so quick but also this desire to be undeniable like mm. you can't stop Connor McDavid yeah. Like you that that documentary they did about his yeah oh name, <laughs> I mean, that guy's like, no, I don't want a year off. I'll work 14 hours a day every single day until the season starts. And we none of us knew that he blew out his knee. No, it's none crazy. of crazy. It, yeah. It's
1: nuts. I, it just driven to a different level. Like that's just, just that's not that's not a normal human trait. So no, when when you mention you know like how much you love comedy, are you able to like put that into words specifically? Like, is there one main thing about it specifically or is it just the whole industry and art of performing comedy as a whole
2: i think i think you have to love it all Mm -hmm. so if you want to be a good podcaster yeah you have to be good on a mic yeah you have to be well versed well well read in whatever your area of expertise is Mm -hmm. but also you have to kind of enjoy all the other stuff like the booking of the guest, the editing of the show, the you know the promoting of the show. Yeah, the marketing, and,
1: whatever else.
2: Sure. So if you're not, if if it kind of falls down, it's like a three legged table. You take one of the things out, it doesn't stand up. And mm-hmm. so, with comedy, I really do love booking tours, booking comedy clubs. I wake up in the morning. I'm up. You message me eight fifteen. Any doesn't matter where I am in the world. I wake up at eight fifteen, and I I get to work on. Filling my calendar. And I've done that. I mean, it's been, I've been a professional stand up comedian, which is so ridiculous to me. I didn't think you could be a professional stand up. So mm-hmm. I like the booking part of it, but then I like the joke writing part of it. I, I like it when something strikes me as funny, where, you know, I, I have a brand new joke that I haven't had a chance to try yet. And it's, you know, every now and then I find myself having this moment of, is this virus a figment of my imagination? And I'm like, it's so crazy. Like, m- maybe it's not. a. Re- oh, like, maybe I'm just imagining this. Maybe it's a fig. And I was like, figment. That's a weird word. Like, f- like, have you ever heard the word figment before? That's weird. And then I realized that I'm on the verge of talking to a volleyball. Like, that's how Tom Hanks ended up talking. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, like, like, I've been in my <laughs> freaking house too long. <laughs> so that idea of not, I don't understand where the word figment came from. Um, And so writing that joke, I loved that. And now I can't wait to try it on stage. So I like the I like the professional side of it. I enjoy the writing side of it. I love the performing side of it. But if if you're not adept at any one of those things, your comedy career has a really tough time getting off the ground. Mm -hmm. You know, so I mean, Pete Holmes would have had to take acting classes. He would have had to know how to write a spec script for his show that he wanted to pitch to the to the networks. So you have to be driven, and no one, no one tells me what to do in the morning. No, I have to be my You're own. You're your own boss. boss. Yeah, yeah, and I love it, and I can't believe that I'm that I get to do it. But you know, so I think you have to love it all, and in, there's not any one thing. I mean. Being on the road, driving seven hours to a show with one of my friends, I could sit in a car with. Look up Alex Fortin. Look up Brian Short. Uh, you know, there's a great comedian out of Australia who's a huge Oilers fan, Chris Franklin. So Bloke Franklin is his. To it, message him on Twitter if you got if anybody's listening to this, message Bloke Franklin and tell him that uh, that Lars said hey on the podcast. So. I get to work with all and drive long distances, and we joke and laugh and have these silly moments, and then we get to do a show at the end of it. I love it all, man. I really. I don't care if I'm in Bangkok or Seattle. I don't care if I'm in Okotoks or Lloydminster. I yeah. I love it all, man.
1: Some shithole wherever that that is that's inspiring I, sorry go i ahead.
0: think in that too you, you touched on something important that we talked about earlier as well that that camaraderie right like it's an individual performance especially uh comedy right like you have to make your own bit and do your own performance right but having like you just said your friends there you being with joan or, or everything else we talked about earlier right like that in itself like makes you want to be better so that you perform for those people or for your friends or or your family or whoever right so like yeah it's it's a balancing act in everything and and yeah dude you're very smart i like talking to you
2: well and so what something i figured out it was um almost pavlovian and that i learned early on that the better i got the more i got to do it Mm -hmm. and so what you're talking about is so right If I get really good at this, so if you start out, you do five minutes and then you do five minutes and you do five minutes for a year and then you do seven minutes, then you do 15 and you start to figure out, wait a minute, the better I get at this, the more I get to do this. Mm -hmm. And so when somebody said, did you always want to be a comedian? I can say. I never thought you could be a comedian. I wake up. I have to write that on forms when somebody goes yeah. occupation. I have to write comedian. Like, That's how you know. Yeah, you like, are it, you though. trying
0: to be one right now, sir? Like, yeah. yeah.
2: It's yeah. completely ridiculous. Yeah. So, so I want to headline the shows. I, I love touring with famous people. I don't want to be an open yeah. act. I want to be a headliner. And I've, yeah. I've, you know, I've been, I've been headlining shows now for 14 years, 15 years, and yeah. and um, which still sounds so crazy to me. Um, so as I got better and then I got more gigs and then I'm like, wait a minute, if I work really hard at this, maybe I'll get more work. And then I'm like, wait a minute. If I wake up in the morning and I start booking shows, then I'll get more work. And everything I do is just so that I get to work. And in that it was like this super snowball of like I, the, b- b- the more I work, the better I got, the better I got, the more I got to work. And it just completely took <laughs> just a on a life of its own.
1: Tornado. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. And, and um, you know, so there was a, uh, neat. So I really cultivated a Twitter following in that I worked on engaging a lot of people and I tried to be funny, but I really worked to deliberately build a Twitter following. And in November of 2019, I, uh, there was a 700 seat theater in Edmonton and another comedian and I sold it out. And I, I find it completely unbelievable that I could sell 700 tickets. There's no part of me that ever believed that I would have enough people interested in seeing me that 700 and people would come out to a show.
1: A big aspect of that was your Twitter following.
2: I would say probably. I mean, I'm mean, going to assume yeah. you have, you have
1: how many exact followers? Sorry. I should probably know that. Uh, I mean,
2: like 12,000. The... There's, yeah. there's 12,000. And I, I clean up. A, f- a Fair reach. Yeah. yeah and so what I did, I started probably three years ago, was working on cultivating a Twitter following in Edmonton or other mm-hmm. places that I like Calgary. I have a, a okay. So uh, if I had to guess, I would say I have a, around eight thousand Twitter followers in the city of Edmonton wow. and all who are active on Twitter. And so I'm, I really try and clean out the bots or the you know the um, fake accounts and stuff like that. Yeah. And so so when I play, I we play a follow for follow game on Twitter. I really want to share my followers with each other because I think that they're really good people. I think you guys are great and you're fun to engage with. And the Oilers fans are so active on Twitter.
1: And I think that's one of the big things where you look at you growing that following. And part of it is definitely, you're obviously a funny guy that's very active on there and you you make an effort on your, your Twitter, you know, to, to interact. You're always approachable there. And and you look at even your posting currently or the last quite a little while, the your top 10 lists that you used to write <laughs> in the paper, which is like kind of really a nostalgic thing, right? And just even though it's in a that's a lighthearted thing that you're doing through a pandemic where there's a lot of shitty news going on, right?
2: Yeah. I'm uh I'm pretty lucky in that I I uh, my parents were professional musicians Mm -hmm. and we drove long distances when I was a kid. So I I had to spend a lot of time in a vehicle. So you were in a vehicle as a child. We didn't have iPads. You, you, you know, I didn't read a lot of books when I was young. So I always was in my imagination. So being in my house, while I'm usually in my house, booking shows and working on tours anyway. So it's very easy for me. So what I want to do is I want to see if I can do something to help keep other people occupied. I want to see if I can help keep other people busy so that to make them laugh make them think make make them engage them and and um so I'm I feel really lucky I don't have kids I, I have enough savings you know I'm I really feel blessed and I want to see if I can spread a little bit of joy so the these salt mm-hmm. top 10 list they've been sitting in there for 15 years they've been in a in a filing cabinet and I've never taken them out so now I have this extra time I'm like well why not post those online I I wrote 200 of them I used to write so it was a it was called the Ed Magazines, Ed the Magazine, which was a, a pullout in the Saturday version of the journal. Excuse me. So every Saturday, I would have to have a top 10 list in by Thursday of that day. And so I wrote them all. So I'm like, well, I might as well put them all online. So I have another, I don't know, I probably have another 80 or more to go through that are all just in this uh, <laughs> filing cabinet. And so what I, I, you know, I'm going to allow myself a moment. Of uh, self-importance, and mm-hmm. that is this: when I play the follow for follow games, um, I'm sharing my followers with each other. So while I might gain a few, oh yeah, um, there are a lot.
1: There you're are a lot of, you're doing a lot more than you're benefiting. Sorry to cut you off.
2: Which is, and I don't need any credit. I don't want any credit. But it's funny where people might think I'm doing this to promote myself. Right. And I'm like, I I gained 30 followers and everybody else gains 500 followers. And so if anybody's unfamiliar with what we're talking about, uh, in September of each year, usually the mid-September, I send out a tweet and I came up with the idea and I ran it by a friend of mine who has a huge Twitter following. Her name is Kim and she runs the account yeg, Y-E-G, tweet up. And so I ran it by her and I said, go follow her. She's great. And so... I said, what do you think of this game that I came up with where we, I mean, I didn't, I had this idea that I could connect Edmontonians. There wasn't right. an Euler one initially. So I said, what do you think of this? Why don't you send it out? And she said, no, you send it out. I'm like, yeah, but you have a bigger following. So why don't you do this? And she's like, no, you came up with the idea. You send it out. I'll play. And so her and Linda Hoang, Hoang I always want to make sure I get her name right, but uh, <laughs> Linda Hoang. Um, so they participated, which really made this thing kind of take off. So it ended up the tweets end up with around 100 to 120,000 views. And people people who play for the first time, as everybody else plays along, they end up picking up between 400 and 600 followers. Well, I don't get anywhere near that because they're all followers that I have.
1: Yeah. And the- you might get a couple based off, yeah, but it, it's nowhere near what everyone else is gaining.
2: Which the reason that I do it is because I want to connect Good people with good people, and I'll I'll direct message a couple of um, my friends who run businesses, and I will let them know. I'll be like, by the way, Wednesday at noon, I'm sending this out. You have to be on this because your business will pick up four or five hundred followers, and so I I want to connect good people because I think that my Twitter following is filled with good people. That's really what I'm trying to do. Is that when you take Lars out of the equation after this, you guys are all still friends. And that's what I love. Right. I want you know I want people to listen to your podcast because I'm a fan of it.
1: I, I love that you were realistic. I remember you you ran one not just the mid September this year, right? You did two.
2: Is that correct? So I did a second one um, more recently because we were everyone was on lockdown. So I, said, right, so I that would
1: have been I, middle I, of March ish.
2: Yeah, so I sent out a poll saying like, what do you guys think? I don't want this to seem spammy, and I really I think the reason that I'm kind of qualifying this, the reason that I'm is saying this is because I don't want people to think that I'm running these just to benefit me. That's the, mm-hmm. for me, I'm like, I don't want people to go, oh, Lars is doing this again. Just yeah. Spam, spam and like, promoting, no, trying no. to
1: sell tickets. Yeah.
2: <laughs> right. I'm like, no, no, I don't need it. I don't need it. And, and yeah. I think that that's, you know, so I sent out a poll because I'm like, what do you guys think? And I think it was like 71% said, yeah, send it out. And people really seem to enjoy it. I hope they did. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, for the next day and a half, everyone was like, well, this is really cool. Look at all the, look at all the followers I'm picking up. And then spam bots kind of come in and we've, we've tried to work around that. And, um, and then occasionally you'll see somebody who's posting, you know, pornography or somebody who's, who's, uh, you know, a spam bot will jump in or something. And I'm right. like, I'm, so, I'm sorry, or people who, guys who like, Direct message the girls that follow them. I'm like, please don't do that. Yeah, you know. So like, uh,
1: yeah, I'm not trying to like create a harassment ring here.
2: <laughs> right, I'm trying to engage people on a, on a you know social media platform that In I really enjoy, being
1: positive there. way. Exactly. And I hope so. I, I think it, it's it's really funny because not not funny, but I think that was I'm trying to remember. I know I've followed you for quite a while, and our account has been older than our podcast because we've been podcasting coming up on a year. Col and I. But I'd made the account before because I knew it was something that I wanted to do. And I was like talking to other guys. They had said how important Twitter was, especially like hockey Twitter and everything. So I'd, I think we were like Mighty Oil Podcast, which is cringy as hell to think, even though I mean, it's not that bad, but um, it's, yeah, it's all right. it, it still kind of, it's cringy as hell just because it, it was, we, we decided on something better, I hope anyways. But so I had followed you at that point, And it, it's weird because when we joined the network, I know a lot of our affiliates, had asked, they, you know, they had seen that we had four or 500 close to 600 followers, which isn't a a huge, but relatively for a new podcast, we're stoked on them. And a lot of guys are like, you know, they're just starting out. They have new accounts. Like, how did you do this? And I'm like, There's this Edmonton comedian that does these follow for (laughs) follows because that's where we've gained like all of our Twitter followers, more or less. Like, other than specific hockey fans or other hockey podcasts or really specific Oilers fans that are like, oh, cool, an Oilers podcast. Like, a lot of months we gain maybe one follower, two followers, all the like that mass is is through yours. And I, I think the thing that's great about that is I don't think I've had any like really bad experiences with. Anyone through that, like it, I, it's, it's one of those things where you where you'd fear that it's like oh you know you mentioned that you get guys DMing girls and maybe that since we're not an attractive girl on Twitter maybe that's a little bit of a blessing for us but you would be w- worried that it'd be negative and other than the odd person that maybe you know tweets way too much about nothing I'm interested in and i I might mute somebody <laughs> like nothing bad has come from it at
2: all knock on wood yeah um, exactly <laughs> and I. I don't um I like the idea of everybody accepting their credit where it's deserved. So you participated in those games and you followed everybody back and you're active and you're engaging. So I really do try and and I'm not I'm not being dismissive and I'm from my from the bottom of my heart, I'm only one person. Mm -hmm. And so I account for one of those six hundred. And so when people go, oh, I have all of my followers because of Lars, I go, no, no, you have one follower because of Lars. Everybody else followed you because you're a good follow and you're fun to be, you know, to, to, to you creating fun content and you're positive. So you guys being on there and being engaging and, and interacting with people, people follow you because of you. I don't want any more credit. I, I think saying, you like, need
1: to take a little bit more of the credit nah, to be honest. Yeah, like, like, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate what you're saying, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think that, uh, the, I think you deserve a little bit more credit in that sense, no, we can agree it, to disagree it, in that. too. Well, it's, <laughs> it,
2: I, I, I just, I, I think I have a defensible position. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I can only count as one and everybody who would have followed you guys and, and followed you back and you guys followed each other back. Um, Everybody would say the same thing as far as, uh, hopefully everybody, that it's a positive experience and you count as a part of that positive experience. And so they go, okay. I, you know, it's, it's always been pretty fun because I'm like, yeah, so everybody kind of has to be uh, on, on good behavior. They have to be mature adults. And so I can't take credit for your behavior. People stick around because of your behavior and other people, you continue to follow other people because of their positive behavior and their positive actions. So I really think that I count for one and everybody else who decides to play along with the game also feels the way you do. That would bring me so much joy for everybody to be like, you know what? All these people are great accounts and I like them and they seem like somebody I'd have a beer with. And so that for me is like, um, yeah and i'll say this uh if anybody's listening to this i'm trying to get jack michaels to follow me that's my that's my next plan. okay so everybody tweet,
1: anybody listening right now tweet at jack michaels and let's spam him until he follows loris
2: is that fair yeah. or
1: yeah. do you want to like earn it the right way and
2: uh no they can message him but I, <laughs> yeah I, I, we can gonna, annoy him <laughs> uh i uh that'd be so funny you say he's not allowed on your podcast until yeah. he follows me yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't think we have to worry about that. I think yeah, you have a yeah. much better shot of getting a Twitter <laughs> follower there. That being said, if we can manage to spam him enough to get you a follow, maybe I, give Oil Country Podcast a little like slide us in there with Jack Michaels.
2: Yeah. I, I, I like him. I really do love his announcing. I you know. I
1: You know, I I have... My roommate is... I love him to death and he's a knowledgeable Oilers fan, but he's an absolute idiot sometimes. And I say that because he's one of my best friends, but he really doesn't like Jack Michael's calls. And I think it's because he, he gets my roommate has the, the feeling that he doesn't care about like the emotion and the voice or anything like that. He just wants you to describe exactly what's going on along the ice. And I disagree where I think, Like did you you saw that video that went viral probably two or three weeks ago? Oh the the, the girl that was yeah, like it was sorry, we we had shouted her out in the last episode, but I can't remember her her user at the at the start. But her dubbing Jack Michaels intense calls over her like lip syncing. And that's the thing I love about Jack Michaels. His his voice is so Perfect in that sense. Maybe could he be a little more descriptive in in some senses? I mean, sure, but that's not his style. He's he's the he's so emotional, it, and he's still
3: descriptive enough.
2: Yes. So I so I I'm with you yeah. So it's neat when somebody says about a comedian like I like that comedian because he laughs at his own jokes, and I'm like I don't know, I don't think a comedian should laugh at their own jokes. Right. I think they're <laughs> they're just delivering the stuff. But if that oh, does uh, it for you, hey, whatever. <laughs> I I lost my mind on stage. I was laughing so hard. I was in Grand Prairie. And I was laughing so hard, I could not get the joke out. And I tried, it took me five minutes, because it was like, I'll tell that story in a minute, but I'll first talk about Jack Michaels, we'll send this to him, and he can listen to it. Um, <laughs> when I'm listening on the radio, and I, you know, often have long drives, and what I'll do is just, uh, just put on 630 Chat on my phone, it doesn't matter where I am, I'll be able to listen. I think that he's actually plenty descriptive. Mm-hmm. So I really do like, you know, he's in the left hash marks, so I think that he paints a good picture. Um, but then also, it feels to me like he's on my side. He feels right. like he's on my team. So I think he's descriptive enough. And I'm not pandering. This is my my honest opinion. So if Mr. Jack Michaels is listening to this, I am saying um, I love listening to him when I'm on a long drive. I it gets me through a lot of drives, and I also like that he he shows emotion. It feels to me like. He's an Oilers fan, and that's and it, something and that almost, I really enjoy.
1: It paints the picture that not like I don't want to say that you're there because that sounds a little cheesier out there, but it it makes you feel more emotionally invested when the guy explaining the game to you is yep. also emotionally invested, right? And I I love. I was lucky enough to be at the oh sorry I'm completely blanking. It was the the Desjardins winner in overtime. Um, that was against
3: oh yeah San Jose,
1: correct? That was the first round of the 2017 playoffs, right? Kyle, I oh my one.
0: god, you put him in a spot. I think so. Yeah, sorry, yeah. I think so. I'm yeah. pretty sure it was yeah. the San Jose series. Yeah.
1: I'm like totally blanking on that. But that video somebody made of the slow motion with Jack—it's the crowd slowly rising up—and that was one of the most intense games I've ever been to. Clef Bomb scoring with like five or six minutes left in the third to tie it with a booming shot from the point. Dejarnay of all players scores in overtime. And Jack Michaels' intense as hell call with the slow motion of the crowd just rising up in in like pandemonium. That is like that video. I will, I have it saved in my phone. I go back to it and it still gives me chills to this day. I mean, even though it's only like three years later, but that's largely because of the way Jack Michaels calls his games.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I fully agree. And so I was driving into Grand Prairie. And I, there's a, ho, a hotel, uh, giant red letters, giant, probably six feet. It's, it's on the side of the hotel, and it said pool and jacuzzis. So they're telling you what they have: pool and jacuzzis. Now, as I'm driving into town, these giant red letters, the L was broken. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> so it said poo jacuzzis. Now I don't have any jokes about farts or poo. I don't have, I didn't have any, but when I was trying to tell the story of the poo jacuzzi sign, when I was on stage that night, I could, I was crying. I was laughing so hard and I just wanted to be able to deliver the joke that I had written about it. And I didn't want to laugh because I think that in my mind, the comedian should be almost not a part of the joke. And so I'm, Trying so hard to get the words out. The idea of these somebody deliberately breaking it, like, so, like these guys show up at the hotel for work and they're like, "Oh man, somebody, somebody shit in the jacuzzi." I'm like, "I'm not cleaning it," and I'm like, "I'm not cleaning it." And They're like, "Get some rocks, come with me." And these guys go outside and like throw rocks at the side of the. Now
1: it's not false advertising, right? It's a food
2: jacuzzi. It says right on it, like, "Yeah, duh. And so I'm trying to tell the story that I've written in my head, and I am losing my mind. And people were coming up, I ever really like that was so funny how you like laugh through it but i was mad at myself because i just wanted to deadpan tell the joke but i was laughing so hard and we drive up six months later if you go to twitter or instagram and you search the hashtag poo hashtag p-o-o jacuzzi not with an s i uh poo jacuzzi you will see the side of this hotel and you will see these giant red letters and you will see poo jacuzzi and i like We drive up six months later and it no longer says poo jacuzzi. Now it says poo jet tubs, giant letters, huge sign poo jet tubs. And I was like, so I wrote the story in my head of like the sign company showing up and the the owner being sarcastic and like, Hey, what do you guys need fixed? And he's like, Oh, what do you think? Need you to change jacuzzi to jet tubs. And the owner comes out and it's changed to jet tubs. He's like, what the fuck? He's like, well, you told me to... Like, no, the L. Get,
1: get some invoice for like $3,000. <laughs> <laughs>
2: the sign company was at the show that night when I was telling the joke in Grand Prairie. No way. I, I never would have known if they weren't there. The manager came over and said to me, Jacuzzi was a brand name. The hotel got like a cease and desist letter. They weren't allowed to have Jacuzzi oh. on the side of their, their hotel. We had to change it to Jet Tubs. I was like, why didn't you fix the L? And the manager of the side company is like, it's funnier that way. <laughs> <laughs> and like, so I, wow. I'm a, I, to bring it full circle, I'm a huge fan of Jack Michaels. So I, I really do. And, and I like it, you know, maybe I need to, to go have a beer with him. That's probably it. So. Yeah, you do.
3: <laughs> yeah. I'm, just,
1: I'm sure you've tried reaching out, but you gotta use that use that following to your advantage.
2: Oh, you know, I'll tell you a quick George LaRocque story. Please do. Um, he, was, he
1: was an all-time favorite for me growing up. And uh, while, yeah. well, sorry, before I, while well, I'm cutting you off anyways, saw on Twitter the other day that he's unfortunately got diagnosed with COVID. So
3: Ooh. definitely,
1: I know, sorry if I was the bearer of bad news, I figured you had seen it, but he did tweet it out, seemed to be doing decently well, but obviously our thoughts and uh, thoughts yeah, and well wishes to him. Sure. I'm, I, oh I'm sure he'll be fine, but
2: yeah, hopefully please. he has a speedy recovery. Yeah, everybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. I, I I was not. So when George was playing here, he used to come to the comic strip all the time. He'd come to comedy clubs okay. all the time. And um, like, I would say probably twice a month he would be in the club. Really? And, and yeah. Oh yeah. We're good friends with Rick Bronson. And um, I remember walking, I was performing at a charity golf tournament. We were at Red Tail Landing and I walked into the lounge at the, the clubhouse and I walked into the lounge and I was looking for Rick and we were at a golf tournament and George Laroque sees me and he's like, "Hey, Lars," and I'm like, "Hey, George," and I'm like, oh, "It's crazy." <laughs> like you know, so um, a couple of times he would come up to me after a show and he would, in his thick French accent, say, "I saw you." He's like, you saw me, you didn't pick on me. Why didn't you pick on me? Why didn't you pick on me? And he would always, he'd sit somewhere where you could see him and he'd, he'd yeah. want you to make fun yeah. of him. He's a hard guy and to
1: miss so, anyways, but yeah.
2: Oh yeah, but he'd always be like, I, he goes, you saw me. He goes, why didn't you make fun of me? But one of my favorite, so <laughs> there's a, f- a fundraiser going on at the comic strip and George is on, if, I, if I'm on the stage facing out into the audience, George is on the far left side of the room. And there's a, uh, an item or whatever, concert tickets to see, I don't know, Coldplay or whatever it was. Uh, so, so George is like, $100 or $200. And this girl across the other side of the room goes, $150. Uh, and George goes, $200. She's like, $250. Uh, and George LaRocque goes, $500. And you hear the girl from across the room go, I work in the mall. <laughs> Is this like NHL player? Just like <laughs> he bought the tickets and gave them to her. Wow! <laughs> but, I, oh. but I just love he's bidding because he just wanted to bid. He yeah. to take a bidding, and she's she wanted the tickets, and he's she's like two hundred and fifty dollars in George, five hundred dollars, and she just there's this moment of like, I work in the mall, <laughs> so dejected <laughs> like. <laughs> you like think always, about the situation you're putting me in here man like <laughs> I wow. love that he, he just bought him. I watched him go over and give him to her so so he was doing a roast of Shane doan I think it's on YouTube oh wow. and uh I'm pretty sure it is so Shane doan this was this was last maybe a year and a half ago so I get a text from George Larockque and he's like hey I'm doing a roasted Shane Doan can you write some jokes for me and I said yeah absolutely uh when's the roast he goes in three hours (laughs) I'm like like, George this is brutal I messaged every one of my hockey fan friend comedian friends I mess text every one of them and I go you got to sit down and start writing jokes right now because this, we got to have these jokes. We like
1: are a comedian assembly line,
2: right now. <laughs> right now, anybody who is. And so we, I, I, could pro- I could probably email. I have the email. I'll forward it to you guys. Uh, the jokes that I wrote for him. I think he used two or three of them. Um, Please do. But we like, yeah, yeah. I'll send it to you right now. I still have it. Um, and so, if you go on YouTube, I think it's on there. And so, yeah. So he's great. And so I said, uh, uh, I was like, all right, but like next time, give me a little bit of heads up. Yeah. And they did a they did a roast of somebody else in Edmonton and uh, I messaged one of the guys on that roast and said, do you want me to write some jokes for you? And uh, he's like, yeah, sure, please. So, um, uh, so yeah, it was was awesome. I'll send you the guys that email.
1: You you did that a little bit more than three hours before I'm assuming though. Hey, before you (laughs) reach. Yeah.
2: The nice part. (laughs) Yeah. And I like, it's nice to have a little bit of time.
1: I just love that. Like how nonchalant just like, Hey, yeah. Yeah. can you do this for me? Oh yeah. It's just in three hours. Like no big deal. You're a oh. comedian, right? You can just write a bunch of jokes in three hours. Like <laughs>
2: I was like, damn you. <laughs> I mean, it's George
1: Laroque. Like you're an Edmonton
2: guy. Like you're not going to be oh, like, yeah. Oh no man,
1: that's not enough time.
2: <laughs> yeah. He's, he's so nice. So nice.
1: So I, um, we have run long and we, we do appreciate that, which honestly that's not out of the norm for podcasting in general. Um, Kyle, I had kind of something I was going to do with Lars that was just kind of on the fly, but I figured we could do a bit of a, like a lightning round ask you like four or five questions
3: and you just have like
1: quick answers. Kyle, did you have anything that you wanted to ask or talk about before?
0: No, I think we're good. I, you, I just was chilling, dude. Yeah.
1: Just chilling. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. So I'm going to try not to butcher this cause I've my, my notes are a mess, but I was trying to kind of scribble down some, some questions that I didn't want to forget. Um, but if I ask you them all and we talk about all these topics, I'm going to keep you till like one in the morning. Um, (laughs) so as far as all, we'll start on the comedy side. If you could go to one festival as a comedy fan, anywhere that you've been, what would you recommend?
2: Uh, well, the, I want to say the moon tower in Austin. So I haven't been to that one, but it's supposed to be legendary. Um, Austin, Texas is really cool. Performed there. Mm -hmm. Um, I wish every Canadian could go to Australia. I really do. If you've ever thought about going to Australia, um, I really think you should. Really, really make it a thing. Because, um, did we lose Kyle? He looked like his... I think he just muted uh, himself. You're oh, all okay. good, sorry. Um, and so... or something. <laughs> Australia is so much like Canada. In mm. the age of the country, in the large country with a small population and the Commonwealth influence, Australia, when you land there, You stop hearing the accent after about 10 days, you really forget you're not in Canada. And it is, it is so incredible that you're whether you're in Sydney or Adelaide or Perth or Darwin, you just feel like you're in Canada. So man, when I go to Australia, I I could move there in it tomorrow and not even, it's amazing. It just feels like home. It's great. And so
1: it's a very, so that's, I I spent about three and a half weeks there in the end of 2018. And I couldn't agree with you more. Honestly, like I, if I, I've always been a very proud Canadian, never really had an urge to move anywhere away from Canada. But if I did, it would be Australia, New Zealand.
2: Yeah, for sure. So great. it's an incredible place. Yeah. And people might not know. So the, the king of Thailand, he, the older king, you know, in the late seventies and early eighties wanted to be a tourist destination. So he made all of the signs in English and in Thai. Mm-hmm. And so it's super easy to get around and super safe in Thailand um you know before you went on stage as a comedian they would say if you make fun of the royal family they will take you to jail and there's nothing we can do about it right so there's That's that like button. the one-off limits <laughs> yeah and so you know i i really think that touring asia you would be so amazed at the generosity and kindness and how good the food is and how cheap the beer is it's one dollar a beer right? yeah. almost anywhere you go so it's really great so i would say go to adelaide um adelaide australia Melbourne is amazing and adelaide is the edmonton of australia it mm-hmm. is the same population it has a great art scene it's really cool go, go to go to australia it's super fun so yeah i would say i would say uh, australia new york city is unbelievable but i'll, I'll go with australia D-
1: different bit of a scene for new york though obviously just like the such a you know mega center of a city
3: yeah compared to australia a lot more so i
1: i've adelaide is on the west side sorry i literally am breaking my completely breaking my rules of rapid fire around here
2: Uh, (laughs) adelaide's in in the middle so adelaide is like central like it's it's kind of almost like a flyover city the same way edmonton and calgary would be in that you know you've got melbourne and sydney on one side perth on the other and adelaide gets no love they get like it's just kind of this outpost in the middle of Australia, and it gets shit on all the time. I love the fact it reminded me so much of Edmonton because yeah, a little, of the little bit of a chip on your shoulder on.
1: attitude, kind of yeah, thing, I mean, or, yeah, yeah. How we get a little crapped on? At least yeah. we have Winnipeg to like kind of steer. I feel like a little bit more about yeah. that. Adelaide needs like a Winnipeg, just like a little dr- bit
2: further south, I guess. <laughs> the drunkest I've been this year was uh i was playing in rumors comedy club in winnipeg which is an unbelievable such a great comedy club been open for more than 30 years and uh the, i went to a game the jets game on the sunday after mm-hmm. the i finished my week at the club and tyler the manager oof, that's the drunkest i had been this year he yikes my <laughs>
1: <laughs> liver was hurting for a little bit
2: after that oh one. <laughs> man I, that was yeah was rough the next day. Yeah,
1: that, that was, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm going to get back to the rapid fire. I need to, I need to hold myself accountable. So <laughs>
2: rapid,
0: yeah. Lightning round for sure. Yeah.
1: <laughs> rapid lightning round. Now let's talk about your answers for 10 minutes.
0: On to question number two. Don't laugh at your own jokes, John. Come on. Yeah, sorry.
1: I, I'm a mess right now. I think I'm a little overtired, <laughs> but, um, and I'm still working. I'm not even like in self-isolation going crazy by myself. I have no excuse where is the line in comedy
2: there if if you have the skill there isn't one so if you're going to tackle so there's a comedian named paul provenza he had a show called the comedy green room he wrote a book called satiristas if you're familiar with um the aristocrats movie paul provenza mm-hmm. made that paul provenza's oh, been okay. around he started doing comedy when he was 15 years old he's been around for 40 years like the guy is a legend Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Prevenza liked to see how many people he could walk in a comedy club, but his jokes were well written. So, not, uh, this is a disclaimer: if you're if you're easily offended, this next joke uh, is a bit—it walks the line, but it's a Paul Provenza joke. To give you an example, he said, uh, "My wife and I like to mess with Christians. We're telling them we're going to have an abortion, but the baby's but it's okay because the baby's gay." And so. <laughs> He writes these incredibly well-written jokes that are that push the limit. That yeah. really, you know, somebody like Doug Stanhope, uh, Anthony Jeselnik, Sarah Silverman—they write jokes that make people uncomfortable, but they hold water. The jokes hold water. You know, the things that Bill Burr says—if you, you, you just read it somewhere—you'd be like, "This is offensive," but yeah. <laughs> it holds water. So, somebody like Doug Stanhope—if people don't know Doug Stanhope. listen to him because he'll make you laugh about things you should not laugh about. So I don't think there is a line. And um, I personally don't like victims in my jokes. So um, I, when I, I'm I'm very deliberate in that I don't, there's a great, great mantra, great mantra of comedy. And that is comedy should comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. So you should make the Kardashians fun of the Kardashians. They're billionaires. Mm -hmm. You know, you shouldn't make fun of homeless people because they're probably there because of a mental health issue. So don't, you know, you comfort the afflicted and you afflict the comfortable. And I think that's kind of how I've always shaped my comedy. So it's sometimes I'm like, I don't, you know, I wrote this joke about Ebola and I couldn't tell it. I called a friend of mine and said, man, I wrote this funny joke about Ebola, but there's somebody dies in it. Get to stay
1: behind closed doors with your close friends kind of thing.
2: Well, if, the, if a comedian is that type of comedian, they can take the joke. And I called him and said, you want this joke? And he said, yeah, I'll tell it. And he did. And it just didn't fit my act. So for me, you know, maybe I played a little too safe, but, um, but I like making fun of the fact that, you know, women are inherently more curious than men, not always, but for the purpose of the joke, they like to know what you're going to have for dinner. So, Mm -hmm. There's definitely a whole like punching up and punching down aspect
0: of comedy, right? Like it's, you have to punch up for the most part. And that's what people always talk about. Right. But, but also like, like you said, I think you can make fun of most subjects and and if you do it right, you can make fun of almost everything. Um, I, I mean, part of humor and being made fun of is being accepted right in society like you everybody gets made fun of like and, and gets cracked uh jokes on them right like if you can make fun of uh a fat people or, or gay people or whatever make jokes off of that right um and and you can totally make it funny although it might be um punching to a victim i guess in a sense right but in in a turn like that's also accepting those people into to society as long as you're not bashing those
2: Areas, right? Like, yeah. yeah, and yeah. you know, it's such a gray area. You know, when yeah. when people want to censor a comedian, um, you know, there's a comedian named Kurt Metzger who has such a uh, awesome. one of my favorite. Uh, yep. he, he said he says this. He's one of the writers for the Amy Schumer show, and he said, "Your only complaint about a joke, your only only logical complaint, that so offends you, yeah. n- is you didn't find it funny." Okay. That's, that's your only excuse. There's not nothing else you can say about a joke, and I kind of agree with that. And and I so he, Joan never apologized. Joan Rivers never apologized, and if people got offended, she would say, "You know I'm a comedian. You know I make jokes. If you know I'm joking, then you can say I didn't think that was funny." I mean, people are entitled to their own opinions. Hey, I'm I'm not going to tell you not to get offended, but I mean, if you are aware it's a joke, if you were in a comedy club and you're like, "I didn't like what that guy said about," this i'm like well you knew he was joking you didn't think it was funny no i didn't okay good did you like his next joke yeah i thought his next joke was funny okay isn't that hypocritical like you you thought one thing was funny
0: but this wasn't funny like what are you talking about right now like that might have offended somebody else yeah
2: yeah Yeah. so i i don't i I don't have much patience Mm -hmm. for people who are like if somebody goes out of their way to hurt somebody's feelings i'm like dad don't do that and i certainly you know freedom of speech doesn't you can't you can't slander, you can't defame, you can't, you know, you, you can't, uh, hate speech isn't allowed. So not all speech is free. Hate speech isn't allowed. You can't be hateful in, if you're trying to, but, so I agree with all that, but being offended by an actual joke, like, nah, I don't have, I don't have time. For it, yeah. You know?
1: for freedom of speech doesn't mean you have freedom from consequences for right. saying whatever, Precisely, right? Like yeah.
2: you, if you don't like one of my jokes, you can unfollow me you know exactly. if you see a joke on twitter i'm like all right block me and follow me don't don't buy a ticket to my show
1: it's fine Add visually better right there and
2: if somebody's <laughs> making so i was just gonna say
0: if somebody's making super distasteful jokes all the time they're not gonna get far anyways right so yeah it's like, well, don't well, support so, them if, if you
1: think yeah. it's really distasteful yeah. like yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> anthony jeselnik makes a living off it he's incredible at it you know So yeah, to, agreed yeah but i mean they're few and far between right yeah. i would think yeah yeah
1: how um oh sorry i'm getting ahead of myself question number three if there was a single comedian right now that you could tour with, who would you like to absolutely? anybody. Uh,
2: Trying to I throw you on know. the spot a little bit. Yeah. um, I've, I've been, I've had some fun drinking with Bob Saget. <laughs> 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 he's uh, he's I've worked with him a few times, man. He, we you can, drink, you can drink with Bob Saget. Yeah, he's great. Um, uh, great question. I wonder, uh, who, maybe Chris Rock, I guess. Okay. Uh, I've never said that as an answer. You know, I think Bill Burr is an assassin. Bill yeah. Burr is one of the greatest, and he sounds like he's a lot of fun to hang with. Um, so, yeah, I think Chris Rock is really, you know, from what I've heard, I've worked with his brother, uh, uh, Tony, and he's supposed to be a really nice guy. And he's, I think he's an, is an exceptional comic. So just being put on the spot like that, I'll go with Chris Rock.
1: Yeah, he's a legend for sure. Okay, so we've, we've skirted around it a little bit. I, you've actually been the one trying to get into the Oilers talk, which I would applaud you at. Um, we're supposed to be the Oilers guys. And I, obviously, you're an Oilers fan as well. But um, how happy are you with what the team accomplished so far this year?
2: i uh, I'm surprised. I uh, I had some predictions, so I said McDavid was going to get 140 points, and he was right on pace. You know, That's if he spicy. wasn't injured, he he was pretty close. And so when he came out of the gate and he was lighting it up, um, everyone's like, "You might be right," and I'm like, "Yeah, I saw. I can't believe he can do what he can do." Um, I wasn't expecting Drysaitel to drive his own line. Oh, yeah. I think it's unfair, so I didn't like this. Uh, they gave Drysaitel talent on his wing. I mean, it's nice that Yamamoto kind of overperformed a little bit but to give Nuge to dry and to put McDavid with a couple of junior players and so McDavid because he is so great and because he can carry his own line they're like well he can do it by himself I'm like yeah but he'd have 150 points if you gave him some talent Mm -hmm. I'm like you know he James Neal scoring 20 goals because of McDavid Um, who did he have on his wing last year I just drew a blank on his name who scored 20
1: uh, well, it was like Chase on for a little bit. Rabby, yeah, was you on Chase that on. at yeah, the yeah. end. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, so Chase on scored 20 last year, right? Mm-hmm. And so everyone's like, wow, Chase on. I'm like, no, because they put him with McDavid. Yeah. He, and Marine the year before.
1: In. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Precisely. Yeah. So they have not given McDavid any talent. And I am, I'm like, because now Drysidle is leading the league in scoring, but it's like, but you gave him a couple of guys who can keep up yeah. with him. You guys haven't and, given McDavid to anybody. And you have teams still
1: game planning against McDavid on another line, shutting him down and opening it up for him, which isn't, I mean, is it's that nice a big problem lines. in your eyes?
2: Well, I, it makes me frustrated because if uh, you guys ever heard the, the story about when uh, it was, I think it was John Lennon who was asked, is Ringo Starr the best drummer in the world? You guys ever hear this story? No. So they asked, they asked so they were all accomplished musicians like Lennon and McCartney when they wrote all those songs they could play all the instruments and when asked John Lennon was asked do you think Ringo Starr is the best drummer in the world John Lennon said Ringo Starr is not even the best drummer in the Beatles one of my favorite (laughs) hey so savage (laughs) and so so somebody tweeted uh dry Seidel is the best player in the nhl and i replied he's not even the best drummer in the beatles
1: <laughs> <laughs> i think he was this year though like i mean no, not even production wise no. like i i think no <laughs> no this is, is not going to so, be rapid fire if, if, at if all if this, if
2: this is a if this is my rapid fire answer okay so so if you Exchange, exchange roles. If you gave Drysidle the guys that McDavid has, and if you give McDavid the guys that sidle has, there's there's no contest. McDavid blows him out of the produces water. He scores more, sure. way significantly more. But because he is so great, he produces as much on his own line. With they could take those other two guys off the ice, and it would be the exact same. Like like what? And so I'm a little frustrated that you guys not have any talent to work with. Um, I predicted that um Koskinen would have a terrible year and I was wrong and I am delighted that I was wrong. Yep. Um I was really surprised with Smith and I thought you know he was a little there was touch and go moments in the season where you're like like he, this could be bad and he he's overperformed a little bit. Mm-hmm. So if we have if we have middle of the pack goaltending um I I think that Nurse is I like Nurse. Um I think that Nurse is uh, not as good as he thinks he is. I think that Nurse is great, but I think that at best he's second pairing. And I thought he was going to be, as a a seventh overall pick, I thought that he was going to be hands down a first. Number one D-man. Number one D-man. And I don't think he is. Um, I love him. I absolutely love having him on my team. So when we got rid of Lucic, he wasn't protecting the team. He wasn't doing his job. Mm -hmm. He wasn't. And so, uh, and I, I was just about to say, for whatever reason, when I go to say Cassian, my brain says Ninema. They both were forty-four, and I always go Yanni Ninema, and I'm like, no, oh, not forty-four. I know your reason, brain makes like, that connection. Like, yeah, like just absolutely. And so, um, I love Cassian, and mm. I like how fast he is, and I like how I never thought I would like him. I really didn't, and. I like how he protects his teammates. He does cheat-shot stuff every now and then. He turned yeah. into a
1: fan favorite so quickly and went from like yeah. an enemy with the Gagne thing to a fan yeah, favorite yeah. so very yes. fast.
2: Yeah, so I wish he wouldn't do... He definitely does fewer stupid things than he, than he used to, but, yeah. <laughs> I, but, I, but I really do like him and his toughness and his grit. I really think he, he does what Lucic should have been doing all along. Yeah. And so I'm a big, big fan. So I am surprised... By the team's performance, and as uh, I was at the Stanley Cup parade in 1984, mm-hmm. I posted on I posted on Twitter. I didn't expect the tweet to take off, but I posted on Twitter autographs I had from 1988. So I had everybody from the 1988 team except for Paul Coffey and Wayne Gretzky. I didn't get them, but I got everybody else. Wow! And and, and so my exact, uh, friends with uh, Crucial Or was it Kevin McClone. anyway. So I think it was Crucial Nisky. Regardless, uh, no, definitely Kevin. Won't. Um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, so I I am so excited, and uh, one of the one of the people on Twitter who was like, "Yeah, the Oilers are going to make the playoffs. They're going to camp. Season's watching." I was like, "No," and I really do care more about people's safety and their health than I do about for the, sure. The team, you know, um, I, I, I would if they would come back, um, but but uh, Ethan Bear oh my god this kid is blowing my mind this me me and kyle crazy. have
1: been circle jerking on ethan bear for oh. literally since like game two. Oh my goodness <laughs>
2: this kid is um uh, just composure
1: wow. he's so composed
2: oh the d, his little moves. oh yeah goodness. it's insane he he's our most composed so, d at like 22 the inspiration to me he's actually and I have like I like write messages to myself on my mirror. I've like, mm-hmm. never told anybody that, but I have. And I'm like Ethan Bear, like he moved, just worked. just wow. you work. decide you want it. So <laughs> he really is something. I really was. Am so so so. He we 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 got a first pairing defenseman for free. You know that's how this feels. Yeah. and I mean they 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 drafted him relatively high.
1: That uh, it's tough where you pay him because the sample size is still small. I, I'm, I, I, my gut says, and we've, we've debated this a lot. My gut says, if you can get him on for under 5 million, I'm fine with a long-term deal. Now I do well, think he, that that's risky.
3: He's a restricted is, free
1: agent this summer. Correct Kyle?
0: RFA. And yeah, I totally agree. Like if you get him for even 5 million, dude, I'm giving him eight years. No question.
2: There's a bridge deal there. The I same, think so too. You know, I'm
0: worried yeah, about yeah, the bridge two years, two and just how much he could grow
2: over that bridge. Right. Yeah. But I think the sample size is way too, it's one. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Like with Larson going down, and um, I like it when they call Larson Lars. That's always funny to me. They're like, yeah. I don't know. I thought Lars was a bit off tonight, and I'm like,
3: I'm You're like, like I'm I, I tried my best out
2: here. here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm yelling like, at my heart, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you want? I've got Jack Michaels on, we're yelling together, and so yeah. <laughs> um, really, really, really overly, overly. I can't, I can't believe it. And um, fact, it watching that special on mcdavid's knee the fact that we have him this year and he's doing what he's doing and koskinen i don't know what he did to fix his glove hand but koskinen if you're listening to this man yeah you did it i'm really proud most goalies don't do that that late in their career and you and i'm proud of you it's getting to
1: the point lars where and sorry i do i do acknowledge again we are in a rapid fire round but (laughs) (laughs) Is it almost to the point where, as Oilers fans, we're getting a little spoiled? Like, not so much on the winning, but just the talent and the levels of high-end talent we get to watch night in and night out.
0: Are you gonna just say that after a decade of losing?
1: No, I know. And I like if you. I'm not saying we don't deserve it because we struggled and we suffered, and we deserve it just as much as anybody does. But avoiding that, how much we struggled, are we a little spoiled?
2: Well. I hope that every team gets to experience this, but I mean, you know, there were really years before the Penguins got Crosby, Um, some really dark years before the Penguins got Mario. Um, Some, you know, there was a lot of dark years for the Blackhawks before, before them. And so those picks that they had that, that helped them get to where they were. I hope real hockey fans get to see teams succeed. I don't want to win a Stanley cup every 30 years, 31 years. I want to, I would like to win one every nine or 10. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's unrealistic because that is, you know, I'd love, you get to see some championships. And Five so, in a
1: decade again would be nice too.
2: No, nah, I, I mean, uh, yeah, I would love to see that. Yeah. I should, uh, I want to ask you that question. I, I think, anyway, so I, I think we're so blessed. And I, if you would have said to me, I'll bet a million dollars, okay, but McDavid doesn't sign for eight years, I said to somebody, I'm like, I'll bet you a hundred thousand. That he doesn't sign for eight, he signs for five when he signed, and really? they're like, "No, I think he signed it for eight. And I'm like, "I'll bet you a million dollars, there's no way a player like David signs for eight years. Are you out of your mind?" And the fact that he signed for eight years, and I like his take when they're like, "So the team's not doing great," and he's just, "I'm with the Oilers. I don't want to go anywhere else." It just shuts the media down immediately. Mm-hmm. He is, he is Gretzky-esque in his um, media scrums he's classy and respectful and he is well spoken i think he's a world-class individual and so i'm mean, are we spoiled no i think i think we paid our dues you know yeah. i think we're we're incredibly lucky right now i can't believe dry developed will develop the way he did i mean that yeah. was a hoof like 50 goals yeah. what
1: yeah literally yeah. putting up numbers back to back years like mario did nobody's done that i keep i love that stat so i keep dropping
2: yeah Yeah, something else, and so, you know, I think it's fair. You know, I think Kyle's statement is fair, and it's like after ten years of absolute ash, twenty eighth in the league, thirty, twenty eighth, twenty ninth, or twenty sixth, like the literal joke of the league. Like, yeah,
3: every team makes one.
2: Browns. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're really lucky, and I remember Adam years ago. And McDavid blew around this defenseman just like he was a pylon. Yeah. And I turned to this this guy was sitting beside me. I didn't know who he was. I was my friend was on the other side and I this guy my he was seventy years old. And I said, Man, that's the fastest player I've ever seen. And I remember this seventy year old guy turning to me and going, the fastest player I've ever seen. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this guy watched a war, you know? Like, this guy, this guy watched yeah. those guys. So. It, it's and actually, no, that's right. how fast that guy is. Oh, so, like, like his, and his ability to stick handle at that speed, I mean, it's not even, it's inhuman. He is, it's like he's on a cheat mode. It's like yeah. he gets to have the turbo button and nobody else
1: does. You're like on like rookie mode in EANHL where like everybody's like the, the computers are just like slowly gliding around and you're ripping through them.
2: Yeah. So great. That's it's, it's, it's so fun. So considering you
1: agreed with Kyle's take though, let's move on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um on our on you know, on theme to our what's going on with, with us right now, um, we are running the bracket of who Oilers fans hold the biggest grudge against so Kyle and I are probably going to talk about it in our intro a little bit but currently going into the final is Shirelli and Corey Perry which Shirelli doesn't surprise me at all on the management or media side Um, and neither does Perry I thought Pronger would get further but that's beside the point I'm ranting again Is there, it doesn't have to be one of those two players, Lars. It could be from different eras, could be recently, it could be Kachuk, it could be anywhere. One is there a player that stands out that you just hold like a huge grudge against that you won't, you just can't get over?
2: Kelly Buckberger.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've already been through that, so we know how that
2: goes. (laughs) uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, Great question. Uh, You know, the, the, the real thorns in my side are the cheap shot players so Mm -hmm. so somebody like Claude Lemieux was somebody who I just could not I don't like those guys you know when some blue foots when somebody goes for a knee anytime that happens I'm like you deserve to to get cross-checked in the face if you're trying to injure another player you know I I hope somebody drives your head to the boards and and you you know I, I never wish anybody to get hurt ever not even no matter how much I dislike that player but when somebody like Claude Lemieux Ives a player's head into the boards and, and you know crushes a bunch of bones in his face. I'm like, I hope that guy does get injured because you're trying to injure other people. Yeah, you're, so, yeah exactly. that. What yeah. goes around, comes around yeah. a little bit. Yeah, so the one thing that I haven't been able to get for, really, I can't. Um, I'm going to say, I, I'm not even going to say Kessler because it was Kessler who grabbed the pad, right? Yes. <laughs> I won't even say Kessler. I will say the video review team from that goal oh. <laughs> I,
0: I don't know if you guys remember from that game but afterwards in like the uh the round table on sports center or whatever right um they didn't even see it it was uh uh oh my god i, I forget his name uh 30 30 thoughts guy um oh friedman Friedman was the one that said like do you not see him holding his pad and they all looked at it again and were like oh I do see that now like and then people were saying that they must have missed it but but again like that's your job how are you missing a Mm -hmm. blatant hold on the pad I I agree with you yeah
1: I was very drunk in a Boston pizza when that happened and I called my dad who's like a, a lifetime Oilers fan as well and I was like genuinely distraught, like very, very drunk, but genuinely distraught like over that. I'm, yeah, well, I'm, not I'm still, not crying, but like like emotional for sure.
2: Yeah, it I'm was still, it I'm was still, awful. I'm still mad. That's so, a great answer, see by see the way. But, still, sorry, go ahead, Lars. It's 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 it was difference maker. It it that that was uh, a clue. A uh, mad. <laughs> they had video review. It was it was so blatant. If frame by framed it and looked at different angles and went there's no way you can miss that you can't miss that and so i i'm not a conspiracy theorist i don't know if they were trying to screw it but i am to this day whenever i see the screenshot him grabbing that pad i want i want to swear and again i don't wish anybody harm it's a sport we watch it fun but I, I would tell that video replay guy or whoever the ref was who made that call, whoever made the call, I'd be like, sir, you were wrong.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to
1: write him a very strongly worded letter.
2: Yeah, because it, it breaks my heart. It breaks my. It makes me sick to my stomach. I really,
1: really, really wish we had you on the show before we made this bracket. Because I'm curious if that was an option in there I'm like, we had like a miscellaneous section.
3: I'm really curious to see how
1: long that, how far that would have gotten into our bracket. Cause I, I think that's a great answer. Like that is an outside the box. You didn't go player. You didn't go coach. You didn't go management, media member. You went outside the box of like who you just have a genuine emotional grudge against. Yeah. And it's, and it's (laughs) fully justified. Like that's, yeah, that's a great answer. Lars. Well, thank you we are going to wrap it up there but i do want to just um um, say like how much we appreciate having you on obviously but i i think it's so important just to acknowledge positive members especially on social media i have a a, you know i mentioned to you before when we were off air or off recording that i have kind of a love-hate relationship with a lot of social media and i think the the issue is there it's like you can get depending on who you follow and who you interact with you can get into a really like toxic area that social media provides And I think you are the polar opposite to that. I think you, you know, not that you, you can't get emotional and get mad. You're mentioning earlier the, the confrontation you had with somebody, but I do genuinely think you bring a lot of positivity um, to, to a service that can get negative at times. So I just wanted to, you know, commend you to that and and thank you for it.
2: it. It's the way I think it should be. And I don't, I don't like the idea of social media affecting people's mental health. Mm-hmm. Remember, you can mute, you can unfollow, you can block. Remember, just use them as much as you like. And maybe you create an echo chamber for yourself. But if that helps your, your, your mental well-being, then do that. Um, don't worry about, you don't owe anybody a follow. You don't owe any response. Don't engage people in 36-hour in long debates like <laughs> I have. I was bored. <laughs> I was really like, I was thoroughly. But, but I want to be a positive experience and say to somebody respectfully, is this, this behavior make your mother proud because I want my mom to be proud of me. And I, and I, you know, I don't want to make fun of somebody's appearance. I don't want to call somebody stupid. I don't want to do that. And, and I like to call out people for that. I had one guy um, who's a friend and, and some friends. And he's like, he said something about like a uh, Nanaimo, those people from there are nothing but a bunch of trash. And I messaged him privately and said, this is what makes Twitter Behavior like this. Don't do this. we're above this. We're better than that. And the guy's like, you know what? You're right. And so we became friends over that. And I I want it to be a positive experience that helps people be happier. Block, mute, unfollow. Do whatever you need to do to make your social media experience fun. And I want it to be fun for me too. You know, so so I, I'm so grateful. I'm I really am. And you know, it's I, I think that the the end community, the Alberta community, the Canada community, the Oilers community, I think they're all really, really great. And um Bloke Franklin, Bloke Franklin, at Bloke Franklin. And if you have time, message Shaq Michaels and tell him that that we, we talked about him and we love him. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And to and to follow ours. <laughs> nah, I got them all. I have all the followers. I have them all. I'll share with you. <laughs> message me and say uh I'll put you in my follow Friday and I'll put you in my follow Friday and I'll get you followers. I You can follow me if you want. but I, yeah,
3: I'm Well, we got to get Jack
1: Michaels too, though.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. We got to get him to follow you. So yeah,
2: that's, that's, that's like,
1: fun. that's, you know, that's numero uno right there.
2: <laughs> yeah, I but, should ask uh, George to send him a message.
1: Yeah, there you actually, you know what? That's probably your biggest in. You said that he texted you, so you got his number.
2: Yeah, oh yeah. So you do well me. Who's that? Bostoffer called me. My phone rang after the big show in November. I had dropped off tickets at 6:30 Chad for Bob Stoffer. And my phone rings. I'm getting an oil change and it comes up, Bob Stoffer, on my phone. And I'm like, no, no way. I was like, uh, oh, this can't be. And I thought somebody's playing a joke. So I answered. He goes, uh Bob Stoffer. And I'm like, okay. And he said, uh, I wanted him for dropping off those tickets. I grabbed the envelope and I didn't realize until after, uh, please keep me in mind for other shows. And thanks a lot for those off. I'm like, Whoa. well
1: Well, it's interesting how how just that networking works right like how that it all just ties us together and you have interactions like that with somebody that is you know locally famous and pretty big as far as the oilers yeah it's awesome social networking side goes that is cool um but yeah thanks again lars um really appreciate you kind of providing us your your perspective and your your insight and sharing your passion for comedy and And hockey and edmonton and and everything else is there uh, a
0: unique guest yeah
1: yeah definitely unique for us is there you know in closing i know unfortunately your shows have been postponed slash canceled um where can everybody reach you as well as you know anything to you know promote i guess going on i know it's kind of a weird time
2: search the hashtag poo jacuzzi You'll, (laughs) you'll laugh at that um you will it's funny if you're on instagram or twitter it's extra like the word extra e-x-t-r-a law I follow everybody back um so if you want you can just follow me and then I'll follow you back and you on me um I, uh, I I am doing a, a show uh tomorrow I put on twitter because I I've never been more than a week in 16 years mm-hmm. and I'm going a little I'm had a month off and I put on twitter if you're having a fire pit in Edmonton I'm going to bring a speaker. I'm going to do a show in your backyard for less than 15 people. And so Saturday night, tomorrow I'm doing a show in somebody's backyard for their friends around a fire pit.
3: (laughs) That's awesome.
2: Is that, are you not live streaming that or anything? Are you? Uh, No, I'll I'll pull some pictures from it, but I mean, you know, so I, you know, I'm really lucky in that, you know, I have some savings and I I don't have kids. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm in a good position. I'm really fortunate. And, um, so yeah message me you want me to do a come come to a show in your backyard for your friends i will bring my own speaker and i will do i, I just want to perform i love jobs so I'll i'm outside it. of
1: edmonton right now for work but i do have a fire pit when i get back i might have to hit you up
3: Lars.
2: I'll, I'll come do your show i'm not even kidding we'll do it I, I i will come do your show we're i'm doing the show the show i'm doing saturday um if they're gonna pass the hat and we're gonna donate the money to food uh oh that's I always, awesome i just want to yeah tell jokes
1: yeah and, and have something go to a good cause and hopefully lighten up some people's moods that are that are potentially struggling or or anything like that that's awesome